My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? It is a flat out game, but once you understand how that game works, well then boom, you you know, you can't be fooled if you understand how the magician does the trick. So with the book, Government, the Biggest Scam in History Exposed, that's what I'm trying to do is expose how the magician does the trick. First off, the idea that a couple of dozen slave owners, lawyers, and politicians on a continent of three million people. The idea that a couple of dozen slave owners, politicians, and lawyers can go into a room and write down on a piece of paper that they alone get to make up rules for everybody and steal the wealth of others is a dumb idea. And you just heard a preview of today's guest, Etienne de la Bautier Squared, the author behind Government, Biggest Scam in History. And boy, is this a great addition to your library if your family thinks you're crazy. He's put an incredible amount of pictures, graphs, and incredibly useful information into this book takes you through some of the biggest tricks that they use to get us enslaved in this system talks about strategies to get around that gets into the symbolism the history of things like the constitution the pledge of allegiance the federal reserve and we got into a lot of that today voluntarism and anarchy ways to get off the grid and even some information on the food industry and diet talked a little bit about dairy something that i have been a fan of for a large part of my life i even milked cows on a small dairy so definitely appreciated the insight he shared with us so thank you for joining us here on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast first up ron from new england host of the wicked planet podcast join me for our extended intro that's right we're changing it up new format if you like it go over to the patreon patreon.com slash mftic because i cannot do this without 
the support of kind folks like you. And if you do, you'll get a very special animal name and not just any animal name, a spiritual animal name. So come on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC. Over to the link tree, link tree slash MFTIC. And you can find all of the ways to support the show or just go to myfamilythinksomecrazy.com check it all out there we also have alt media united a podcast cooperative that i founded and check it out there's a new feature on the site an opml go over to the listen section on the site click that button that says opml put that in your favorite podcast app i recommend using a third-party podcast app that means don't use apple or spotify and You take that OPML, paste it into your podcast app, and boom, you're subscribed to every Alt Media United podcast in one click, and you'll get all kinds of awesome information and podcasts like this one, and some even better, Higher Side Chats, America, they're all there. Go show them some love. And again, thank you folks for listening to the podcast. Oh, and of course, Tinfoil Hat, baby, which by the way, I will be joining Sam and the guys on the show, I think. We'll see. But look forward to that coming up this month in December. thing is new Ron I'm not sure how I'm gonna go about doing the intros so I think I'm in like a test phase now but the goal is to create my show in a way where it's three hours total the first hour is primarily me and a co-host and then the second two hours would be the interview oh, okay that's the goal I don't know how how long that's gonna take but I think you know as time goes on as I make more progress and, and create better interviews, it, they'll be able to go for longer, you know? And, and I, I just, I just like the idea of, of bringing more of my personality and more of a, a sort of like finger on the pulse aspect into the show. So like, it's yeah. not just another interview show and, and people can get to know me through my friends or through the co-hosts and, and also we can, you know, kind of be, on the on the same page as the audience in the sense of like you know if this whole Travis Scott thing happens I want to talk about that you know Kyle Rittenhouse will talk about that just Lane Maxwell will talk about that you know because it might not be easy to find a guest for that particular thing that you know breaks in the news but it will be plenty easy to find a friend who's got some time like today's friend Ron from New England host of the Wicked Planet podcast to bridge that gap. So what are you thinking, Ron? And I hope you don't mind. We are recording already. No, that's fine, Mark. You know, you know, even on my show, I've been doing a few episodes that are letting the listeners like peek behind the curtain a little bit. Right. So, you know, to know a little bit about me personally, like how, you know, what my life is like and, and what I got going on in my life and kind of what I do, you know, for my regular job versus my podcasting, which 
which I want the podcasting to evolve to be a more of, of my thing that I'm doing versus, you know, my regular job that I've been doing for, you know, 40 plus years. Right. But, but I think it's cool to let the listeners, uh, you know, like I said, peek behind the curtain a little bit, see how Oz operates. Right. You know what I mean? So, so that's not a bad idea that you have it. I kind of like that. My question is, you know, how do, how do listeners respond to longer shows? And, and I asked myself that, you know, a while back because, you know, in the beginning we were doing shows and we would say, okay, well, let's do, you know, because the typical show is like an hour, right? I mean, you know, unless you're getting super in-depth into a subject. And then what we would do is, you know, we would get going on a subject and before you know it, well, an hour goes by real fast. Right. And, and then, and then you know, from all the appearances I've made on other shows, like in an hour is not really enough time to get your message across or even, or even to give just the tidbits across. So, so then it would go to an hour and a half. And then before you know it, you know, you've been talking on a subject for two hours and it's like, wow, how, how did we cover two hours so fast? <laughs> well, you know yeah. I mean? yeah. Yeah. So I did, I did my uh, mega freedom, which is interesting because this is in, in line a little bit about, about your, like your show that you're doing, you know, after we do this introduction, and, and, and it's about, and it's about the state of New Hampshire and things that were happening in the state of New Hampshire, which is, which is huge in the freedom movement in this country. You know, our state really holds a lot of clout. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's been selected by the free staters to be a free state. And, and a lot of people are, you know, are trying to move to New Hampshire to, to kind of work on that, to make that happen. But, but what I'm getting to is that that show was over three hours long. Mm. And it was like three, three and a half hours long. And I'm like, oh my God, who is going to listen? Who's going to sit down and listen to the show for three and a three and a half hours. And then, you know, just the other day I went back and I, and I looked at the listener numbers and it's like, oh my God. Well, apparently a lot of people are willing to sit and, and listen to a show yeah. well, on, I, on subjects like this that are over three hours long. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm sure you've seen, I just went back to my, um, download numbers to, to be, sure about what i was thinking and i I mean people are listening to this on the my family thinks i'm crazy feed so they've they've seen i put four five three hour podcasts on here most of them are not one contiguous episode what i'll do is i'll put multiple different shows together and like if you have two two hour shows and put them together because they're similar i find people stick around the whole way through given the numbers don't tell us how long people are listening for. So that being said, I, I honestly don't, it, it doesn't really, I mean, I hope people listen to the whole show. I think that's kind of like why I want to do outros as well to put information for the more dedicated listeners in the back of the episode, like certain things like, you know, just like privilege type things. Like, you know, like if you guys want to join in and, and get first dibs on this new art that I'm selling, because I started selling my art through the podcast, cool. you know, I'm going to be mentioning it at the end. But yeah, I don't, I don't see the, the numbers affected whatsoever. They're actually, I think people like the longer episodes. And I mean, I'll say from experience when I was a delivery driver, I would appreciate a longer episode because that meant, you know, touching my phone less and focusing on working and, and the conversation more, you know, and, and when I do the longer episodes, I try to put music in between. So it's not just like an abrupt, you know, spot of silence and then switch over, you know? So 
I try to, I, I'm really, and Tara got so excited in the car when I said this today that she almost like, <laughs> like jumped for joy through the roof. But I said, you know, I'm trying to create an audio experience and that's really inspiring for her and me. But also I think that's why I was drawn to podcasts in the first place. It wasn't just for the information that you're getting. It was for every, all the little details, like the fact that Ron's in his car right now and he opened his door window and we heard the, the car beep. <laughs> well, well, you know something that I want to apologize for that. No, but, it's okay. <laughs> uh, well, listen, it got really windy real fast. And not only that, I see a lot of emergency vehicles going up the street from me and I didn't want to have sirens coming in on the show. Yeah. Uh, well, to that point, my mom was just talking about that. Cause she's watching the game much like you were. And she, she was like, wow, there must be wind affecting ESPN because, you know, here in Connecticut, ESPN, for people who don't know, their headquarters is in Connecticut in Bristol. And it's kind of in a valley, too, because they have to be at a certain elevation to get good coverage with those satellites. But, yeah, I'm sure the weather is, is affecting affecting you up there if it's affecting us down here so bad that we're we're getting a disruption in the TV signal. Well, actually, you know, when we're talking about the Pats and the Buffalo Bills game, that for Pats fans, it's a it's a big game for us. And, you know, and I don't get a lot into sports, but I do like my Boston sports. I, I have to admit that. Well, you know, I'm a big big Red Sox fan, big Pats fan, Bruins fan. Right. And, uh, and I was watching when you had called me earlier, and uh, the sound was going in and out. And, mm. uh, and, the, and the picture was a little sketchy. So, yeah. So that makes sense. And of course, it's on ESPN, right? So, and uh, they televise it on the local channels here because it's a home game, right? It's a Monday night game. So, Monday night football's on ABC anyway, which ABC uh, owns ESPN and actually Disney owns all of them. <laughs> well, uh, it's funny. Yeah, no, the, funny the you mentioned that, really though, because that's exactly what we talked about today how the media has all these subsidiary com subsidiary companies mess that word up again. Uh, you'll hear that in the interview today, folks. But yeah, it's a consumer monopoly consolidation. And even down to home products, food products, media products, all of it is put under, I mean, in his book, you can see it right here on the charts and how all of the lines connect to one place, one company. So you're oh, yeah. absolutely right. And this is, yeah, you know, this is common knowledge, but it helps to have it in a book like this. Cause you know, there's a lot of information to remember. I mean, when you said Boston it was synchronistic, cause I'm opening up or I opened up to this page that I thought we could get into and I'll hold this thought. Cause I know you have something to say, but it, it mentions Boston and the Pledge of Allegiance building. But before we get into that, you, you had something to add? Yeah. Uh, what I wanted to say was, and I have actually said this on other shows that I was on, that when I was young, I had this guy that used to hang out at the shop. He was actually a really good friend of the family. And him and I, and he was a little bit of a pothead. And, and, after, and he like would me. work in... Well, he would work the night shift and then he would stop down at the, because he ended up actually renting an apartment off of us. So he was living on the property and he, and he always would come down and we would shoot the shit or whatever. And him and I got into this conversation. I'm talking, I'm young. I'm like probably mid teens, maybe 17, 18. And we were talking and I said, you know, what's going to happen someday is that all the companies in the world, and it doesn't matter what they are. It's going to come down to five companies. 
you know, because, you know, I didn't say corporation, you know, I just said companies. It's going to come down to five companies that own everything in the world. So if you buy something from this company, it's the same company that's allegedly their competition. Mm, you know what I mean? Which right. is just like a big smokescreen. So, so I did, I did remember saying that, you know, to him about that. And we got into a lot of other discussions too. We actually talked about, you know, how, how you were going to have to be part of this, part of the cult to be able to buy anything. Like you would be, you know, restricted from buying unless you were a member of the cult. He mm. called it the cult back then. Anyways, it's just kind of funny how, you know, at my age, I'm going to be 58 here in a couple of weeks. And, you know, and you think back that many years ago and we already, we already had it kind of figured out back then. And, and then what you say, how it's common knowledge that, you know, all these companies, you know, that they, they own, they're mega corporations like Disney. Disney right. owns ABC, they own ESPN, they own, you know, what don't, what don't they own, right? So, so that, you know, it kind of, it kind of like right in line, right in line with what we were saying, like even back then. So I thought, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, to, to your point about the, he has the first section of his book is 20 techniques used by inner generational organized crime, which is what he refers to as government. And I, I think that's a really good description of government, intergenerational organized crime, to create the cult sure culture of slavery and tax slavery. So I think you yeah. and your friend were definitely onto something. And then on the point about Disney, I just got I just had Richard Spence on the show. That episode will be out by the time this one's out. And he worked with a guy named Walter Bosley to write a book called Empire of the Wheel. And I'm so excited because I ordered that. It's coming in the mail. But in addition to that, when I was searching for Richard Spence's books, I found more of Walter Bosley's books. And I found this book about how Disney is built on the 33rd parallel and all about how the original Ferris wheel might have been tuned in, we'll say, to the ley line and that was the magic of disney for some time now yeah. you know it's not like that anymore but that's his theory yeah okay so you're talking about the original disney which was disneyland that's in california correct i thought the original one was in florida no no the original the original disney is disneyland right and that was in california the one in florida is called disney world now, uh, see, this is why I'm confused, because I remember hearing the story where Disney, and it makes sense now that you say that, because Disney had all his money from Disneyland, and then he went and bought that Everglades property in Florida to create Disney World. Secretly, so, he bought all that land through different shell companies, right? because he did, uh, and, and I mean, it was virtually farmland and swamp, is what it was. Because, you know, Florida's pretty flat. Actually, it isn't pretty flat, it is flat. Right. You know, I frequent Florida you know, quite often. So, so, and I love Orlando. Orlando is a cool place to party. Like, like there's plenty of, you know, everybody thinks it's for kids. It's for grownups. Trust Shout me. out to all the lunatics in Florida. We love you yeah. listening to the show yeah. down there. We have no, good numbers I, there. Yeah. Yeah. My show too. I really like, I really like Florida. I like it a lot, but, but he bought all that land. He didn't want the people to know that Disney was actually, cause Disney was already popular at the time because they'd already had the, the Disney that was on Sunday night. And I used to watch it as a kid, you know, Sunday night you had your Disney movie or your Disney show. So, so he had already, uh, already amassed a fortune by that time, but he wanted to expand to Florida. 
Now, I'm not sure if there's any uh, any of that stuff going on down there. I mean, there could be. I mean, it's maybe something we could look into. But, you know, the biggest thing was is he did not want anybody to know what he was doing because then he knew that if they knew that Disney was coming in and buying all that property, well, they were going to want more money for the property. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, he yeah. was full of tricks, that guy. I'm excited. You know, I haven't gotten the book yet. Like I said, it's coming in the mail, but I definitely... I'm crossing my fingers and hoping Walter will join me on the show for an interview after I read the book. And I say that because, you know, folks are about to listen to this interview and I got to come clean and confess I should have but did not read Etienne's book. And I regret it because I'm not going to say it wasn't a good interview. I think Etienne's a great guy and the fact that I've met him in person definitely helped. He himself said he wasn't. Uh, feeling too great. But I got to say, Ron, you know, I listen to shows like the Higher Side Chats. I listen to Grand America show, and it kills me every time I hear them give these great interviews because I have the time to read, I think, or at least I, I hope I do. <laughs> you know, uh, when I look at my week ahead of me, I'm like, yeah, I got plenty of time to read. And then I, I really, I don't have as much time as I'd like to. So in the future, my goal is to do this for at least once a week, because I want to do interviews with authors at least once a week. But, you know, not every guest is going to have a book that they've written. But I'm hoping as the show progresses that every guest will, you know, get an interview from me after I've read their book. You know, because I think that really makes for a not not the not just a, a good interview, but a good conversation in general. When, you know, when I listen to a podcast, that's what I like to look for. So that's kind of. I guess what I want to emulate, you know, even down to doing something like this is, is kind of emulating the Grimerica show and, and Greg and, you know, it's not copying because we're all kind of doing a similar thing here, but we all um, inspire each other in a way. And those guys are definitely uh, big inspirations for me. So, Oh yeah. Me as well. Like I love the Grimerica guys. I, I'd actually like to get hooked up with them at some point. And, and also, you know, obviously I've listened to Greg Coward for years now. Right. You know, and getting back to the thing, you know, with the three hour show, like, like before I became a plus member on higher side chats, I would listen to the first hour and, and it just left me with like, okay, I need more information, you know, because there's more information on this show. And that's what kind of enticed me to become a plus member, oh, yeah. which is a, which is actually a bargain. I, it, you know it, what I mean? Yeah. It definitely yeah. is. And yeah, I had this, I mean, I think I listened to two episodes before I was like, all right, I got to sign up. I, like, I think I listened to, I remember too, it was Tobias Churton or somebody like that talking about Aleister Crowley. And then the other interview was with this guy who goes by Tolek. And I've reached out to him on Instagram. I don't think he's down for interviews anymore, or maybe I got the wrong guy. But, but yeah, he was a very interesting person. And I'm like, ah, I got to find out what else he has to say about space and, and, and these space brothers that he was talking about. Yeah, you know, you know I, find, I find that now with my show as it's evolving. I mean, Mark, I've only got 35 or 35. And I feel the show has really come a long ways, you know, but... I, I have this idea that I want to start getting into more very interesting topics because that's the stuff that I'm interested in. And, and, and when you look at certain shows that you do, you know, by the title or whatever, what the content of the show is, listeners seem to respond really well to like really weird stuff. And, that, and that's what I love to talk about. 
You know, and I don't have a chance to get too many guests on. You know, again, like we talked, you know, previously about, you know, my life is like extremely busy, but we're coming up on the time of year where that starts to slow down. Right. So I really hope I really hope that I can do that. And, and along the lines of what you said, like I, I love to read books too. And but you, when your life is super busy and you got a lot going on, well then you don't have time to, you know, sit down and read a book a week like like in the old days, like I used to be able to do. So you know uh, that's something that I want to be able to do, and and that's what you're saying, like like you know have a guest lined up, get their book, read their book, breeze through their book, get the information so that when you have an interview with them, uh, you can actually kind of dig a little deeper into it, and that would entice people you know, more people to buy their book and, and that would be interested to listen to the show right. to have that particular well, author. And on. you know what I also, great idea. you know what it is too? It's like, I, I leave out Sam because Sam is, is so like, he's a huge inspiration, obviously Sam Tripoli, but like his interview mastery, in my opinion, comes from his experience in life. Like, even though he might not like obviously one of the busiest guys in podcasting, he doesn't have time to read all, every guest's book. You know, I'm sure he's read some and I've seen him read Susan Bradford's book in person. So he's not lying folks. And, and he has so much like life experience that even if he's not well versed in the subject, he's able to draw some good questions up and in the moment, you know, whereas you know, I find myself kind of relating to the guest in that same way, but at, then I have that moment of like, well, shit, I'm only 27. Who's going to relate to me? <laughs> you know, like I, I still have a lot of life to live and I, I try to as humble as I can about that. But then when you're in a conversation and you, you're hearing yourself in the moment and you know people are going to listen, you're almost like, oh man, like, you know, and, and I guess that's why I also mentioned the flow state. Cause when you're in the flow state, you know, the synchronicities happen and then the conversation unfolds as it should, you know, that's key, you know, being aware, being present. And I think the book, not so much so I'll know it all, but so that the, you know, reading the book will give you the awareness of what direction the conversation could go in and all of the different angles that it can go in. And then you as the host then have the role of like bringing out the best information from that person to the best of your ability. I mean, that's in a nutshell how I see it from the hundred or so episodes I've recorded. Where'd you go? I'm here. I said 100 or so episodes that I've recorded. Yeah. You blanked out there for a second, but, but anyways, are you still there? Yeah. Did you not hear like the last couple minutes of what I said? No, no, I did. I did, Mark. It just it sounded like you cut off there. For no, a no, my my mouth moved away from my mic. That's all. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah. So that's you know, and this and, and this gentleman that. All right. Hold on one second. <laughs> no worries. We're not live. <laughs> well, by getting asked a million questions from my wife. Yeah. But but anyway, so yeah, she didn't know I was going to, going on to do a show. So <laughs> sorry. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so the, so the, the book that you're uh, going to be talking about tonight, and that's a very, very interesting book. I was able to kind of breeze through it on a sample, uh, and, and I want to order that because, again, you know, uh, he talks a lot about New Hampshire, you know, in some of the interviews that he does. And, you know, we were actually trying to get him 
uh, to come on and just do a quick interview with us when we did the Mega Freedom Show. Uh, but but we weren't able to uh, to hook up with him. But we hope to do that uh, soon. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, he I know uh, for a fact that he's he was a little busy in the fall, but because we were supposed to have the interview in the late summer, and then I was busy, and then he was busy. So I could definitely help with that. But you're absolutely right. And what I think is so cool about his book to go in a little deeper is like it looks like it looks like the internet used to look in the cool days of the internet, like the like when you can still find cons- good conspiracy information on the internet, like his book, I don't know how to describe it other than his book kind of feels like every time you turn the page, you're like clicking to the, to the next, you know, page on a site, you know, cause he has all these interesting pictures, obviously memes in it as well, which I don't think I have any other books that have memes in them. But what's cool too is, is the way the book is broken down and it's really straightforward with visuals and then gets right to the information you know he doesn't spend a lot of time writing from his own words as much as he's writing like factual you know it's straightforward i guess would be the way to put it but i I wanted to focus in real quick because i'm not sure have you ever heard of the youth companion building in boston it's known uh, locally as the pledge of allegiance building no, and I did just hear about that recently, too. It's a five-story building in Boston. Yeah, you know, I heard about that recently. Maybe it was something I was looking up when I was looking into the Free State Movement, possibly, or something to do with the Pledge of Allegiance, the Pledge of Allegiance because, you know, there's just a lot of people that are fighting this whole Pledge of Allegiance thing, and they say, oh, it's just part of the indoctrination, and well, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, it, yeah, it probably is, but, but well, yeah, I think- no, I... I I'm not familiar with where it is in Boston, but I did hear about it. But but that's it. I know nothing else about it. Well, and I should say, you know, you are someone who I've heard you mention this before. You're you're a World War II buff. You know, you you know a lot. You've done a lot of shows with Ryan on the Dangerous World podcast on that subject. And I think we even have one that planned ostensibly for the future sometime to get into that subject. But what's cool about his book, I should have mentioned this before, in those 20 techniques that create the mental slavery, he has uh, a comparison between the United States government and the Nazis and then as well Soviet Russia. So he takes you through and he's like, you know, use of false flag events. Nazis, yes, then explains. U.S. government, yes, gives a bunch of examples. Soviet Russia, yes, Right. So you get the idea. He's going through these concepts and giving you examples where all three of those governments did that. And then later on in the book, in the part that I just mentioned, considering the Pledge of Allegiance building, he compares it to the Nazi salute and how children in United States and Nazi Germany for three decades prior to the whole World War One, World War Two, or I'm sorry, World War Two era before the Nazis got into it, had been, you know, using this mandatory government pledge and salute. Let's see. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I mean, it's really not hard when you really think back about this, right? And I've said this before, how my theory, yeah, and you and I were going to do a Fourth Reich show. That's what you were talking about. Right. We were going to talk about how I believe uh, that we are living in the Fourth Reich and how the how the Germans lost World War II, but the Nazis didn't. But one thing that's important to remember 
which, you know, I'm sure that a majority of your listeners are already aware of this. But during Operation Paperclip at the end of World War II, that's when we brought all these Nazis over to the United States, gave some of them secret identities and whatnot. Right. But but maybe maybe the United States government admired how the Nazis had control of their populace. Right. You know, they indoctrinated their populace. I mean, you can look at photos of, of some of the uh, rallies that they had, and you could kind of compare them to Trump rallies, to be honest with you. I well, mean, I mean, just just tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand people, at this one rally to see the Führer, who was Adolf Hitler. And and I mean, did these people go on their own on you know because they wanted to, or did they go because they were told they had to go? You know, these are some of the things. But I think what they did was they figured out that, boy, if we. If we just use some of the Nazi playbook, we could have more control of our people. Mm. Because, yet, you know, the population of the United States after World War II probably was like only 100 million people. Now, I'm not absolutely, you know, correct or, you know, absolutely sure that's the proper number. But, I mean, we're over 300 million now. And that was only, what, 60 years ago, 70 years ago now? Right. So, right. so I mean, you know, and that, and that makes a lot of sense. And the Nazis probably learned how to do what they were doing from the Russians, from from watching the Bolsheviks and how they took over the country, you know, with with Lenin and then uh, Stalin, which was Lenin's took over after after Lenin had passed away or whatever. Right. So right. His, it says his, here that this company, it was the Perry Mason Company, and they pub they published the Youth Companion magazine, right. And they were basically pushing socialism here in the United States. And this Freemason, Francis Bellamy, created the Bellamy Salute, right? That's where this all goes back to. And the salute, you can see it. It's actually the an example of it is on the cover of his book. But all across classrooms in multiple countries, they were doing this type of salute. And yeah, it was a form of indoctrination. So yeah, they were pros at it. And it's no surprise that... They got recruited, like Sam Tripoli often says. The you know United States did a draft pick and got the worst people from from Nazi Germany and maybe even Russia after that whole thing happened. I mean, who knows? Well, well, you know what? We took plenty of people from Russia too. I mean, that was that whole you know during the Cold War when when, when we saw somebody that the Russians had. Of course, the United States had a lot more money that they could entice these people with. You know, because the Russians didn't really pay anybody anything. You know, I mean, they're scientists and they're chemists and all this other stuff, right? Or, or, and not only that, but that you had a lot of intellectuals, like Russian intellectuals, that they were rounding up and putting into gulags, just like the Nazis did, because they didn't want intellectuals out there, you know, free speaking, because people would listen to them and they would discover that, you know, the people would discover that the Nazis were just another regime that was there to control them, just like in Russia. And this is why they don't let free, free thinkers talk. And, and this is and this goes right down to all the censorship that we're dealing with on all these social media platforms now and big tech censoring a lot of things that people like you and I say and bigger people like like look at you know, we were talking about Robert F Kennedy Jr. earlier I mean he's banned from all kinds of social media sites because they don't want people to be able to listen to what they have to say because it's the truth they don't like the truth neither did the Russians you know, the communists and neither did the Nazis. So, so I mean, this all 
the United States government has Russian and Nazi roots, you know, from World War II forward to this time. I mean, right. before that, totally different. And right. I mean, and it was indoctrination before that, too, as well. And something else that the listeners may not be aware of, like Hitler and Stalin were allies before World War II. Right. They actually, they actually had a non-aggression pact, and because Germany was not allowed to have a military or to have any type of military hardware, Hitler had made a deal with Stalin because Stalin had all these factories and all these people he could make work for, you know, you know, five cents a day or probably not even that much. They built all of Hitler's tanks, his Stuka airplanes, his a lot of his artillery, all that stuff really was made in Russia. And this, and this is how Hitler was able to, you know, amass such an army secretly because he came out of nowhere in the military. Like, like he, he started out as a political guy and now all of a sudden they're a military superpower. Right. And nobody knew they were building this stuff. Well, that, that's because he was friends with Stalin. Then he turned around and he, and then he stabbed Stalin in the back. And that's the number one reason why Stalin went after Hitler because Hitler launched Operation Barbarossa, which was the invasion of Russia. So he's invading Russia with hardware that the Russians built for them. Right. And this is why there was so much hate between Stalin and Hitler towards the end of the war. And, and it just all goes back. So, so Hitler worked off of Stalin's playbook. Stalin worked off of Lenin's playbook. And now the United States is working off of both of their playbooks. <laughs> and I, and I mean, and I mean, if, if you read this Antonin's book or just breeze through it, I mean, that's going to be, he makes that pretty clear, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's all yeah. about the, the indoctrinated belief in the necessity, desirability and legitimacy of government. And, you know, right. folks will hear that, but what they might not hear, cause I know we didn't talk about this is, you know, what you were talking about with the, freedom movement up there in New Hampshire. I mean, we didn't have a lot of time to get into it on the show. We didn't mention it a little bit, but in the back of his book, he mentions, you know, what you can do about it. And one of the cool parts is he says, organize an ongoing maker space slash co-working space for freedom, similar to Freedom's Phoenix in Arizona. That's Ernie Hancock. People who aren't aware, I've been on Ernie's podcast in person, one of the few in-person podcast I did, the same event that I met Etienne at, the Liberty Lodge in Denver, Praxium in Portsmouth, and then the Quill in Manchester. So I'm going to imagine that Portsmouth, he's referring to Massachusetts, and Manchester, he's referring to New Hampshire. Have you ever heard of the Quill, Ron? No, I have not, but I'm, I could almost bet you money that he's talking about Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Oh, is that New Hampshire? Okay, that's what I... Yeah, yeah. Portsmouth cool. is actually, we have 18 miles of seacoast here. Right. Port, Portsmouth is like smack in the middle of that. Actually, it's closer, it's closer to, Portsmouth is the border with Berwick, Maine. So Portsmouth goes, Great Bay is Dover, Portsmouth. Then you have the Piscataqua River, which is the border between Maine and New Hampshire, and Portsmouth is right there. So he's talking about Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Okay, cool. Well, and that yeah. makes sense. But, you know, for those who aren't aware of what a makerspace is, I actually, the first podcast I ever did with Sam 
I was in a makerspace in New Haven, not a freedom makerspace. These people are very, very liberal, very Yaley, very weird. I was only there because a, a friend was screen printing art there. So I got into the place and, and a makerspace is so cool. I mean, it's basically, I mean, shared pool resources and people pay a membership fee to use those tools that they have in the space to create all kinds of different things. I mean, they had metalworking, woodworking, they had a podcasting uh, studio that was really kind of uh, <laughs> just a laptop. It wasn't a podcast studio like the one I have now, but it was a start and all kinds of other cool stuff. But yeah, I mean, that was a big thing that Etienne mentioned today is like, you know, people need to go out and, and opt out and, and create their own way to get what they need to live the happy life and, and, and bring more freedom into your life. Cause at the end of the day, it's a choice. You're choosing to participate in government with your vote. And it's basically, you know, one thing that he mentioned is the Republicans are saying, Hey, vote for our guy to steal all your money. And then the Democrats are like, no vote for our guy to steal all your money. And you know, we get duped by vote by participating. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. What's the saying they have that, uh, two wings of the same bird right, right. And, and, and i'm you know not starting to you know in the last you know five or six years i've i've come to believe that a hundred percent and you know and you're talking about that free maker space and you know it just it just sparked my memory i was talking to a friend of mine and she was telling me about that she was telling me about that because there was one that the person was supposed to be or in one of these free makers places that was going to be a podcast studio, or she suggested that I go in and set up a podcast studio for people. Right. So yeah, we got to be talking about the same thing. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. sure if there's one in new Haven, there's probably one in, in most towns that have a sizable university. Cause it's definitely something that students use big time, you know, wherever well, I mean, there's, we, we have big universities in New Hampshire. Exactly. So yeah, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure yeah. you guys will yeah. have yeah. a spot, but it's something that people can also do on their own if they get a sizable group of people together and and they have a, a mission statement and they find somebody who who has similar, you know, ideals and wants to invest in something like that cuz obviously that that takes a lot of money, but yeah, I'll say, you know, despite the political disagreements and uh, the fact that they put the mask mandate in the makerspace to this day, it was, it was a cool space. I don't go there anymore because of the mask thing, but it was, it was very inspiring while I was there. And also it was open 24 seven, which was cool. So I could just show up there at night, yeah, anytime. be yeah, my anytime. night owl self and just do stuff at night there, which was cool. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to say that Antonine was, Etienne, sorry, uh, right. was making, or was going to do some type of crowdsourcing deal to get a hundred or was it a thousand of his books spread out across New Hampshire? I'm going to, ha I did hear about that. I'm going to have to look into that a little bit more. I, you know, I was looking at the book there and uh, because another friend of mine, well, you know, our friend Andy from deep share, he, he actually had sent me a text with an ad for this gentleman's books. Right, and he's got he's got he's got different ones that you can buy, and then he's got this whole big big mass of like all kinds of stuff you can buy together, and it's not a lot of money either. I mean, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, it was like a hundred bucks, but 
you know, a hundred bucks in the big scope of things. I mean, I've bought some books, just one book was 40 or 50 bucks. Right. No, so, yeah. For a hundred yeah. bucks, you get, uh, you get like, let's see, five books. You get a bunch of access to a bunch of videos. I think they send you them in uh, USB on a USB drive, but they also have a Dropbox and they can send you a DVD. If your computer still has a disc drive, mine doesn't, unfortunately. And then they have, yeah, a bunch of different content. It looks like documentaries, charts, even some music on there. So, you know, not to advertise because we don't like to really advertise for anybody, but I've met him in person. He's a hell of a guy. He's a really good dude and he's fighting for for freedom. So I definitely don't feel shy recommending folks check that out. If they have $100 to spend, check out the Liberator. I think that's what they call it on government slash scam.com but but yeah and shout out to andy for doing that i know i definitely need to shout out all my alt media united homies as much as possible and ron you introduced me to andy so thank you because i've been on andy's show a bunch i was on his recent series of interviews called the witness series the witness sure yeah right. you're good too yeah yeah we did a, a round table on psychedelics folks should go check that out at the deep share podcast and uh, yeah i gotta i gotta get with andy and you guys pretty soon too i really like his show that he's doing with dan 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 anaki roots of creation i really like that show too mm, yes yeah. definitely yeah, very, very interesting they talk about box saga which is something that you know you and i are both interested in mm. so yeah and that goes back you know my wife is 100 percent finnish you know that wow. box saga comes from finland i find that to be pretty interesting Wow. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see if she's uh, got any lineage, any lineage to that family. That could yeah. be interesting. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Speaking yeah. of of a lineage, people are probably wondering who is this Etienne guy and why is what's his name all about. Well, that's a, you know, that's a pseudonym. A lot of authors take pseudonyms, and I respect him for taking one with the content he's putting in this book. But the original Etienne de la Bot, uh, Botier or Boot. I mean, I'm not French anymore. I was, you know, my grandmother's French, but I can't, I can't speak French. But he was a French political philosopher in uh, the 1500s who wrote the Discourse of Voluntary Servitude, and it was popularly reprinted as the Anti-Dictator. And it's he was the only author in that time to argue that men are not so enslaved as they enslave themselves, and the only power tyrants have is given to them by the majority of their victims. And he was one of the first to chronicle the techniques that monarchs, the organized crime system of that day, used to create obedience, felty in their tax slaves, and also observed that there were always a few who would not bow and resolve to serve no more, and you are at once freed. So definitely inspiring stuff. And it's all about, you know, voluntarily doing that yourself, but also realizing that this reality we're in operates on that voluntary basis. And unfortunately we're born into this system, not taught about that. And we opt in, but, but yeah, Ron, I know you're, I know you're, you're hanging in your car. So we'll wrap this up. Is there anything you want to add to that before we go? Yeah. You know, one thing I would like to say, you know, I'm a big history guy. If, if, People really want to try to understand a little bit more about how our country is run and how we and, and why 
and why we really should be working on changing that is to study the French Revolution uh, because, you know, you had a lot of philosophical people came out of that, a lot of really brilliant. I mean, because the French, the French uh, invented democracy, right? Like democracy in its true form came, came from the French. And, and there's a lot of there's a lot of French people that were involved in that revolution who actually ended up being you know a victim of the guillotine themselves, but but they should like like the gentleman that he that Howard took his name his pseudonym from, you know so you know people could look him up. You know these people were just so far ahead of their time philosophically, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, and so I so I think more people should should kind of read about that, and it's not all just okay, well, they got the king and the queen, Marie Antoinette, and they cut their heads off and they took over. No, it's way more to it than that. I mean, I mean, that's just like saying, okay, we beat, you know, we beat Cornwallis at uh, Yorktown and now we're the United States. I mean, I mean, there was, there was way more to that. And, and I think people, you know, and here's the other thing when you talk about the indoctrination in schools. And I've said this a hundred times. When I was in school, they taught you history. They do not teach history in school now, and there's a reason for that. And, and it's planned, and it's put together, and it's they're all in agreement. They do not want people to know history. They do not want kids to think for themselves. That's why, you know, if you're a, a type of student that's, you know, not into their, you know, common core curriculum or whatever it is that they're pushing, and you and you think a little bit differently, and you act a little bit differently. Well, they want to squash you. Because I'll right. tell you what, I'll tell you what. When I was in school, you know, I always said I was a natural born anarchist. Anyways, I think that's in my DNA from my family. But but if if I you know did anything that the teachers thought was you know out of the realm of what I should be doing. Like, like they would send me to the office or I would get a demerit. And it was even times when they would have somebody, some counselor, like coming into the classrooms and just observing me while I was there. But, you know, they say those people that act like that, they're natural born leaders. And I and I consider myself a natural born leader. People, people will flock to me as a leader. I am not a follower. I don't follow anybody's shit. Like, like, like I have my way of doing things. And if you agree with it, you want to follow me, cool. And, and, and I think, and that's what they're trying. They're trying to get rid of the Ron from New England's from the school system. Right. Because, yeah. because they don't like people that are like me that are outspoken, that'll say things. And, and this is why I'm so glad I, I bit the bullet and did my own podcast because, you know, nobody's really telling me what I can or cannot say on that show. You know, Nobody it, will. It, it, yeah. It, it, well, I mean, you know, unless Spotify decides they're going to shut us down. And oh, we'll just but go people could else. still find the show even if. That's the thing, you know, your your podcast get taken off Spotify, but it'll still be up everywhere else. So while people are listening on Spotify and they do listen to this show on Spotify too, let them know, hey, there are better apps you can get, third-party apps that will connect to the Podcasting 2.0 Index, which will never be censored because it was created 
with the help of Adam Curry, host of the No Agenda podcast, one of the biggest conspiracy podcasts out there. So if anybody's going to protect you and protect your free speech, I think it's him. I trust him. Media United family, too, which which is really big. And And, and I've I've got a few people to kind of reach out to you to kind of get their stuff on there, too, and I know you've taken care of them, so I appreciate that. Because our, our circle is getting bigger, Mark. Right. You know, right. The, the more people that are speaking truth, well, you know what, maybe, and, and I think this is starting to happen, and, and I'm not saying it's because of us, but just say if, if, if one half of 1% is from us, people are starting to wake up. People are starting to figure this shit out. It's starting to unravel, and people are fighting back. And this, and this is what we need because we've got to take our country away from big pharma, big tech, and all the corruption we need, you know, the military industrial complex, we need to take our country back from that. Now I'm not saying we don't need a defense, but we do, but we don't need to spend more money on our defense. That is in, in sometimes 10 times larger than the full budgets for some countries. <laughs> so, so, so we yeah. don't need to spend that kind of money on our defense. We just don't. No. So, so yeah. So I mean, we have to keep up the fight. We're going to keep going. I'm really looking forward to this interview that you're doing tonight that you've already done, but I mean, I want to, I'm very, I'm looking forward to listening to that. Uh, and I want to, and I'm going to go out there. I'm going to get that book myself because I want to get together with that guy. Cause I know he's pushing a big movement in New Hampshire. I know he has a lot to do with New Hampshire. Yeah. So, yeah. It's uh, mentioned it's a, in his book a bunch at the, at the back, they have a listed freedom events and there are, events a bunch in new hampshire but they're in arizona mexico oklahoma massachusetts nevada idaho michigan virginia sounds like pretty much wherever you are in the country you might have to take a half a day's drive but there's one somewhat close to maybe if you're in washington you're kind of you got to go ah nevada's not that far from washington but either way uh, yeah there are definitely a lot of freedom events and movements especially in new hampshire but yeah, and thank you for saying that, Ron, about All Media United, because it is a family, and I do encourage people to join if they have a podcast, because that's what's going to happen. You know, you, you you get on more shows, you join in the family, and uh, swap cast with some people, and maybe learn some tips and tricks that you didn't know before, and that's kind of the idea, too, is everybody's pretty straightforward about what works for them, and, and like, Already in our Telegram group for just the hosts, we have like people sharing, you know, advice, like you know, really big podcasters sharing advice, and and they totally. Oh, that's like yeah, that's a great Telegram, Mark. I don't mean to cut you off. No, but no. I have to mute. I have to mute it every couple of days <laughs> because my phone just goes. It just blows oh, up. Oh yeah, no, I I don't with, with post with post on that Telegram. I mean, that's how active that Telegram is. Yeah, I don't uh, have. And I mean, I I get the notices. I just it just doesn't ding dong anymore, you know. Yeah, yeah, but. that's same same with me. I can't keep up with everything, but that's why I encourage people to at me if they want me to respond because I will look at that. But not no alt media united chat. I always make sure I follow up on that, you know. But but it is a family, and in spirit of that, you know, I had the spirit animal names going for people who are in the Patreon. But the people who listen to the show and they don't support with their money, which is fine. They support with their time. And I appreciate your time that you give us here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. So I got a name for all of them. 
since it's the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and we've done a lot of moon magic this summer, and the moon is a huge, huge rabbit hole. I mean, from the moon landing to what the moon is and all the other things that come from the moon, even the term lunacy, right? And oh, if, yeah, lunatic. Right. Well, and thank you for saying that because I found uh, a new name for anyone who listens to the show. You're my lunatics because if you take, and this is maybe a weird reason or explanation, but if you take the acronym, my family thinks I'm crazy, and then you put the word Luna in between the MF and the TIC, you get the word MF lunatic, motherfucking lunatics. So. <laughs> So that's what we're going with. We're going with the lunatics. If you like the show, let people know that you're a lunatic. Tell them to listen to the show on Instagram. Join the Telegram where there's a bunch of lunatics talking about all kinds of different stuff. We talked about Satchem's Head, this place I went to, thanks to a, a tip from my homie Rob B. Shout out to Rob out in Branford. And, uh, and yeah, so we got the community growing by the day and Ron, I'm happy to have you a part of it, pal. I mean, this has been a, yeah. a good way to, to kick off the new style for the show. I think I'm going to try this out folks. Let me know what you think. And if you have any co-hosts that you think I should have on, I think I'm going to open this up to pretty much anybody else who also has a podcast, you know, so you get yeah, a chance to, to join me on the show and, 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 and maybe talk about these really cool topics without necessarily you know, all the pressure of having to be interviewed about them, you know? Yeah, you know, I think it's kind of cool when us podcasters all get together to do a show just with us. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it ends up being kind of cool. You know, I had an idea. Uh, I actually talked to, I was on with Joe, uh, Joe and Jen the other night and Kyle from the Big Dumb podcast. Cool. Was it on that? You know, we just did a quick thing, some report show that Joe likes to do on uh, Sunday nights now or whatever. I just, he asked me to hop on with it. I said, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, but I had this idea. So maybe we should have like an alt media Christmas message and do like a big mega zoom where like whoever's available from the alt media United family can hop onto this one zoom you know, just for, you know, 15, 20 minutes or half hour, whatever. And just all of us get together and just wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Anyways, it was just an idea. I'm down for that, Ron. I think that's a great idea. And there was some talk from Andy in the Alt Media United Telegram about doing a kind of like group show with all of us. My only hesitation with that is like Alt Media United was inspired by the Union of the Unwanted. And that's uh -huh. what the union of the unwanted is. So I'm not, I'm not like, I don't think it would be, you know, biting on their style by any means. Cause I don't think they're the first person or podcast group to do something like that. But that's just where the hesitation was in the beginning to do stuff like that. But I think it would be cool to have like an alt media United get together and anybody who's joined the cooperative in the first year, cause uh, February will be the, you know, year anniversary of, yeah, starting Alt Media United. And then, yeah, so, man, I think that's a great idea. We'll definitely have to plan that out and and keep the audience updated because Joe goes live. I've been trying to go live lately, so definitely going live. We got people around the world listening. I got numbers in Australia, Ireland, UK. I'm going to start shouting all of you guys out. And India, I got 106 downloads in India. After yeah, isn't I, that... 
isn't that weird? Because, like you say, like like from the beginning, I've had listeners from Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa, and then I saw India, and I'm like, you know, I was showing Buckley the other night, like some of the listener stuff, some of the you know some of the stats, and, and, and so that doesn't surprise me that you have listeners in Australia, New Zealand, India. And you got a hundred different listeners in India, right? Mexico. So, I mean, we got people in Mexico, yeah. Brazil. But why I pointed out India specifically is because I just put my podcast on this international app called GeoSavin. And it's very popular for podcasters and podcast listeners in India. So now people oh. who use that app in other countries, because I know that like, you know, not everybody goes on the U.S. Google Play to get a podcast app. So people, you know, who have a podcast like ourselves, we got to get out as far as we can. And uh, yeah, that's the one little tip I learned. But anyways, Ron, this has been fun. I'll let you get back to the game. Hopefully there's no more weather disruptions and, and yeah. Well, it's pretty windy out there. Hey, you know, I just wanted to let the listeners know too. Uh, be looking for some new stuff from the Wicked Planet coming up. Uh, yeah. Once, tell them where know, to once- find you and all that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a Wicked Planet podcast where, you know, on Spotify, Apple, Google, Podbean, Podomatic. I mean, we're uh, all media united, obviously, but on the website, you can access all of us. But yeah, we're out there. I, I think if you do just a quick search, you'll find us, you know, wherever you, wherever people like to listen. You know, some people like to listen you know, on a particular podcast app. You know, they don't, they don't like to listen on Apple or Spotify or whatever. Right. Uh, but, but, but we're out there. It's just. Apple and Spotify anchor like the shows are almost out like immediately on those on those apps and, and actually on Google as well. You know, and some of the other apps it takes a few days, sometimes up to a week to get the new show. But but yeah, I want I want the listeners to be ready because we're going to be coming up. We got some uh, a couple of really cool concept shows that we're working on right now. I'm working on a show with Buckley, my co-host, and Kristen. And, uh, and I'm working on a series that's going to just blow people's minds with my with my occasional co-host, Anonymous Sean is his name. So him and I have been working on something really big. We haven't even even given any hints about it. Yeah, uh, this because, is my because, first hint of Anonymous Sean. Even I don't. I've never yeah, heard of yeah, this well, character. Yeah, he's been on the show. Yeah, Anonymous Sean's been on the show a couple times. Okay, and uh, I gotta catch so, up. Yeah, I tried to get him on last week. I'm going to try to get him on this week. We're going to see how that goes. But, well, but yeah, but so, but look at, look forward to some new stuff coming from the Wicked Planet. Right on, yeah, and shout out to Finland. We mentioned them today and Germany because there are also listeners in there. Now that we're naming countries, I feel like I left a bunch of people out. So, anyways, <laughs> thank you, Ron. You rock. This has been fun, and uh, yeah, shout out to the Wicked Planet podcast. Be sure to go into the episode description and click the link. Subscribe to ron's podcast he'll see it he'll let me know we'll both be happy and this thing will keep moving on and uh, yeah enjoy this conversation with the man etienne de la Botier. that's how i'm pronouncing it but he he pronounced it differently the man behind the government the biggest scam in history exposed locking it down enjoy Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. With me today is one of the few but really brilliant people in the podcasting space that I've met in person. 
We met at Porcupine Fest, and I couldn't think of a better place to meet someone like today's guest because he embodies the spirit of what we're trying to accomplish here, and especially in the times that we're in. Uh, so with me today, Etienne De La Voigt. I'm going to butcher that like Sam does, but, you know, I don't fall far from the, from the tree, as they say. Etienne, how are you, brother? I'm fantastic. Good to be with you, Mark. I am happy that we can make this happen. Like I said, we we met, what was it, almost six months ago now, maybe five, at uh, Porcupine Fest up there in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. How have you been since? I've been fantastic. The book has taken off. And so I think, I you know, the so my book for the audience is a Government, the Biggest Scam in History Exposed. And uh, it's been out for, you know, a couple of years now, but it's really taken off in the past, uh, you know, kind of six months. And so, so that's been keeping me busy. And now I'm in the process of working on a fifth edition of the book. Beautiful. Yeah. And I, I have it in front of me. You're kind enough to send me a copy and maybe, you know, since you mentioned it, let's get right into it. The 20 techniques that create mental slash tax slavery. I find this absolutely fascinating based on what I've heard in your previous interviews. I think you have a pretty um, close understanding of how this operates. So if you will, maybe take us through some of the ways that they get us into this tax slash mental slavery. Sure. Well, so the, uh, just to give everybody kind of a, uh, a little bit of a background, I'm a voluntarist. And what a voluntarist is, is, is someone that means that all human relationships should be voluntary. Nobody gets to use violence or extortion on anybody else. Government doesn't get an exception for morality. And because a government doesn't get an exception for morality, you can't really have a government. And so government has been the biggest scam in history. And governments are always immoral and illogical and illegitimate because it's impossible to delegate a right that you do not have yourself to a representative or to a government. No one can be bound by a quote unquote social contract they didn't sign. And if, if, you know, there's two of us and one of you and we vote that you got to give us all your money, if that is not moral and legitimate, it doesn't matter if there's three of us or there's 10 of us or there's, you know, 250 million, there's no magical additional person that, that can take something that's inherently immoral and illogical and make it moral and illogical just because the mob wants to, you know, lynch black folks or rob Peter to pay Paul. And so it is absolutely positively impossible to have a legitimate government. And so the way that you need to think about government is that it is a technique used by what I like to call intergenerational organized crime to rob and control societies. And when I say intergenerational organized crime, I take it back to monarchy, the original intergenerational organized crime. You're going to give us your money or we're going to hurt you. And after uh, monarchy and the divine right of kings wasn't selling anymore, organized crime developed government, democracy, to kind of trick the population into thinking that they have a say, but always being able to control the outcome of the elections through a disparity of campaign funds, control of the media, political assassination, bribery, blackmail, you know, we're, we're you know, we're, we're able to control you know, who wins these elections to keep, to keep those in power. And so so the other 
the other, you know, part of the message is that that the world is a self-organizing place. It produces spontaneous order. And every single thing the government does that is non-redistributive, you cannot, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul, okay, because that's illegitimate and that's immoral and that's a no-go. But whether it is building the roads, operating the post office, air traffic control, you know, armed protective services that they call the police or dispute resolution that they call the courts, whatever it is could be better provided better, faster, cheaper by the free market, by nonprofits, by mutual aid societies, and by real charity. And so number one, government is a scam. And number two, we don't really need government. Now, the subtitle of the book is how intergenerational organized crime runs the government, the media, and academia And that is really one of the big secrets. It's the government and the media working together. And the reason why your family thinks that you're crazy and the reason why it's hard to communicate with people that don't understand what's going on is because there's really two realities. You've got this, this media system that is, that is, you know, reinforcing the belief in the legitimacy of government, the desirability of government, the necessity of having a government because they're in on it. And so in the book, I, you know, take it back to the quote unquote founding of the country, but it has been this intergenerational organized crime system controlling perception by controlling the information that the masses receive, whether it is you know putting you in the mandatory government school, where they teach you that it's legitimate that you got to turn over half your income and in overt taxes, covert taxes, and inflation, and then they're reinforcing that with control of the media. And on the old media side, there's about six companies running hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion that there's all these different information sources out there. And then on the new media side, there's about two to three dozen, what I like to call DARPA front companies, but companies that have been given unlimited capital patents, a head start in IP technology to be able to dominate their little corner of the information food chain. And so this is the Googles, YouTube, Reddit, Discuss the Common Engine, Amazon, Netflix, Wikipedia, Snopes, Meetup. I could go on and on. And all of these companies have been caught censoring. And so it's not hypothetical that these, you know, that these companies are in the process of trying to shape reality. They've been caught doing it. And so there's, you know, kind of, you know, it's it's almost like, you know, with the COVID, there's, you know, there's two different Americas. There's one America that believes that there's a deadly, dangerous pandemic going on. And then there's another one that realizes the whole thing that is a scam because half of the country can't get it through their mind that the television would be lying to them on every single channel because they don't understand the way that the, the game is played. And if you're stealing trillions of dollars, then it's the couple hundred billion you spend to control the media. Well, that's just the advertising budget. And so that's essentially how the big game works is we're going to control every screen to be able to try and give the population an artificial reality of uh, what's really going on and to make it seem like it's legitimate that they have to 
you know, turn over half their income to this organized crime system. Wow. Yes. And it is as complex as that. And still you do a great job of laying it all out step by step. And I think it's important, you know, to highlight what you did at the beginning, you know, taking it back to the simple level of like, think about how you're being coerced on a daily basis and think about how this coercion has been complexified to a level where, you know, most people just go about living through this system, not realizing how they're being scammed, thinking that, well, this is just the way life works. And I mean, even the word media, media, media comes from the Greek term media, which is the schemer figure, the schemer in the story of the Jason, Jason and the Argonauts, right? Media played this schemer role of, of making it harder for them to, to figure out what exactly it was they were looking for in that particular part of their journey. I think that's fascinating to go back and find where the root of the the problem is. And I think it's pretty clear when reviewing your, your work here that government seems to be the root of the problem. Have you looked into when this all got started, the origins of how this got started, at least in the United States? I mean, is volunteerism something new? Is this, is this old? Well, the volunteerism is also, and sh- don't tell anybody this, it's the rebranding of anarchy. Now, anarchy, again, doesn't mean what you know many in your audience might think that it means. The word anarchy doesn't mean chaos and dystopia. It means no rulers. Right. Now, because the rulers don't want the population to know there's an option on the menu called no rulers, They've used control of the dictionary and the media propaganda system to change the word for anarchy over time to mean chaos and dystopia to scare you away from the one thing that would free you. But, but volunteerism is, you know, doesn't have any of the negatives that anarchy has. And so in the book, one of the things that I break down is, you know, when I say control of the dictionary, I break down and I actually show in, you know, in the book, the, how the definition has changed from the 1827 definition of anarchy in the Webster's dictionary to the modern definition of anarchy in the Merriam Webster's dictionary. And then I break down who owns the dictionary? It's the Encyclopedia Britannica owns Merriam-Webster. They're owned by the Safra banking family, where a former head of the Council on Foreign Relations sits on the editorial advisory board. And so again, if you're stealing trillions of dollars, you know, you can, you can damn well be assured you can afford to change the dictionary. <laughs> yeah, and own it outright. I yeah. mean, it's just a, a joke that... Wikipedia has become what it was because I remember learning so, so much and you still can, but it's the particular important pieces of information like what you just laid yeah. out, the definition of anarchy that keeps this house of cards on its feet, so to speak. And you're bringing to mind something that I just discussed with Professor Richard Spence, uh, and he was talking about Rene Guénon. And his idea that there's always these two, you know, options of chaos or order. We're in a, in a world, like you said, 
self-organizing towards order. But there's got to be that chaos element balancing, balancing it out to make progress possible, or so we think. Do you think there's any component to government working in that way where, yes, it is representing all these bad things, but is it a necessary evil? Do you think that that could be true? No, it's a scam. (laughs) So it's a 100% bona fide scam. So it's, you know, again, so it's like, you know, it is 100% impossible to have a legitimate government for the reasons that I specified. Right. And so, you know, there's just absolutely no way to do it. If me and you and five other people were on an island, there is no legitimate way for, you know, four of us to get the ability to use violence and coercion on the other three in a way that is moral and, and legitimate. Okay. And so it doesn't, if it doesn't scale on an Island of seven people, it doesn't scale to a nation of, you know, 340 million people. And so, so that system has been an abject failure. So the constitution does not protect rights. The Constitution did not limit government work. And so, and not only does it not work, but we've now created the largest government on the face of the planet. And that government is, you know, handing trillions of dollars to private banks and private companies through the quote unquote bailouts and stimulus. It is, Pentagon is missing trillions of dollars unaccounted in the Pentagon. HUD is missing hundreds of billions of dollars. You know, the Pentagon's, you know, $14,000 toilet seats and spending $400,000 on F-35 helmets and building $35 million bases in Afghanistan that the, the army doesn't even want, you know, just so that, you know, uh, a contractor can get, you know, the, the, you know, the money. These are some, you know, well-known financial shenanigans. If you take a look at the Pentagon's Bishop's Fund, if you take a look at the Fat Leonard scandal, this is wholesale robbery. I mean, government is being used to rob us, you know, completely. And so when you when you take a look at it as illegitimate and organized crime, then that really is the key that makes sense of everything that is going on in the world is that that, you know, we've been hijacked by this intergenerational organized crime system that is tax farming us, you know, for 50 percent of our income in overt taxes, covert taxes and inflation. And when I say that, people are always like 50 percent. I don't pay 50 percent when you when you add up. So the you know, most people are familiar with the, you know, the 1040, which has overt taxes. But when you take a look at the covert taxes, every time you buy a gallon of gas, every time you buy a beer, every time you get a, you know, pay your cell phone bill, every time you pay your cable television bill, every time you get an airline ticket, every time you get a, you know, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. But there's all these, you know, different like little hidden taxes that are just nickeling and diming Americans to death. And then on top of that, there is the, the theft of inflation. And the theft of inflation is, you know, part of this organized crime scam is that in 1913, the money center banks lobbied and bribed Congress to create the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve backstops those banks to engage in something called fractional reserve banking, where they're not, when you go to get a mortgage or you go to get a car loan, they're not loaning you depositor money. They just kind of tickle the ivories 
and credit your account with these digital dollars that they create out of thin air. And those digital dollars, those begin, those begin bidding up, you know, as, as more and more digital dollars are created, they begin bidding up the costs of the goods, the necessities and luxuries of life. So that's why, you know, the, the prices are going. It's because we've got a crooked monetary system where they're stealing the value out of the money the same as if they just came and stuck their hand in your pocket and took your money, but they're doing it in a kind of sneaky, sophisticated way that most people don't really understand because the government school system isn't going to teach them anything about money, inflation, anything like that. Exactly. Yeah. I want to really focus in on is the Fat Leonard scandal. If you could give us more details on Sure. So the, the Navy had a subcontractor. I want to say, I, I'm trying to remember, was he in the Philippines? I forget the exact you know corner of the world that he was in, but he, he had a business where they would do the provisioning for Navy ships. They would pump out the bilges of Navy ships, things like, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, and he had infiltrated himself into the naval leadership so that he was essentially buying off admirals, buying off, you know, naval commanders, all kinds of very, very high ranking naval people to, uh, to give him a heads up of when they were going to be in the port. He would, they were steering business towards him. And I want to say somewhere around 20 plus admirals were were implicated within this dozens and dozens of naval officers west you know naval academy graduates you know the quote unquote fine you know the navy's finest and uh, and, it, and it was just crooked as can be and and the and, and instead of you know like actually you know pumping out the you know the 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 bilges and the, you know the poop and everything off these naval ships and disposing of it as he was being paid to do, they would just dump it into the ocean causing, you know, just, you know, just, just crazy, you know, environmental damage in, in addition to the, to the robbery that, that, you know, of the kind of the taxpayer. Right. And that, that's what really, I mean, I used to be a hippie. I used to work for citizens campaign for the environment. That's what really like bothered me about that is as I tried, you know, out of the, the, you know, just the good intentions of wanting to help the environment, I realized mm -hmm. how much of a scam it was and how much they were just letting these corporations and obviously the military, not so much a corporation, but it's the number one polluter on the earth. At least that's a statistic that's out there. I don't know how true it is, but it's it is so the number it is yeah. by far the U.S. military is the number one polluter on the face of the planet. Yes. Well, thank you. And and it's criminal how the system has made it harder and harder. You know, these company or these groups that regulate end up just being, you know, puppets for these groups that you know run amok and and destroy what's meant to be uh preserved it's funny now with the environmental movement so many people are like oh the world you know climate change is bs and it's like yeah that's that's the trick they're getting everybody's attention away from the real problem which is pollution and adding all this confusion taxing us for our air taxing us for the carbon i mean it's ridiculous the level they'll go, but it all started somewhere. And you mentioned that just a moment ago with the Federal Reserve. I mean, it seems to me that the Constitution protected us as a human in a way that humans may not have had protection for a long time, right? 
that what happened no, when the constitution no no, no? no, no break no. the illusion away tell me why break tell me what i'm missing right. first of all first of all the idea that a couple of dozen slave owners lawyers and politicians on a continent of three million people the idea that a couple of dozen slave owners politicians and lawyers can go into a room and write down on a piece of paper that they alone get to make up rules for everybody and steal the wealth of others is a dumb idea. Like it doesn't even, you know, it doesn't even make sense. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's so dumb that they have to teach it to you in a mandatory government school before you're old enough to really evaluate the logic and morality of the claim, to even to get it, you know, even to, you know, to have it, you know, kind of make any sense. Now, they threw the so they threw the constitution out the window 5 minutes after it was signed so george washington and hamilton led an army of 13,000 people into pennsylvania to put down the whiskey rebellion they searched homes without warrants they rustled people out of their beds like into the snow they made people sign loyalty oaths to the new you know to the new government and so it's just a, it's BS. It's like, it, it like, it, it didn't even, it didn't even protect people for 15 minutes, man. It's been wow. a scam the entire time, but most people, they don't really understand the true history of the United States because history is written by the winners. And so, you know, what they're taught is they're taught, you know, in these mandatory government schools that it's the greatest thing since sliced bread and that the sun doesn't set or sun doesn't rise and set if it wasn't for government when if if there wasn't any government we would all be crazy fabulously more wealthy than we are right now and we'd have a lot less conflict in society because there wouldn't be this you know jockeying for political supremacy in every you know you know important societal decision instead of everybody just making their own decisions without harming others. So, you know, you should have the ability to do whatever you want as long as you don't, you know, hurt anybody else. That would be, you know, much more peaceful way of, of organizing society than this, you know, this, this constant competition for the scepter of political superiority. Right. Right. And, and yeah, I'm, Grateful that you cleared up that misunderstanding because I was under the impression that, oh, the Constitution gave us all these rights we never had before and we escaped these awful tyrannical governments in Europe. You know, the whole myth. And then uh, year by year by year, all these events happen and we have less and less and less rights as time goes on. We hear all this stuff come out about the Civil War not really being what we're told it is. We hear about the Federal Reserve coming in in 19... 13, as you put it, and taking away even more rights, restricting us even further. So there is this illusion that, oh, the Constitution, if we can only go back to that and 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 get this Patriot Act out of here and get the Federal Reserve and the fe whole federal government, you know, there's that idea that that small government could somehow work. But you're laying out here where it's like, hey, no matter how you shake it, if you're telling someone else what to do, it's not fair, you know, and you're going to infringe on their rights eventually. So we, we have the, this idea that Native Americans, you know, they lived in harmony with each other. What you put, you know, it kind of reminds me of, of really, honestly, the, the 
truth of what I've read about Native Americans, where, you know, it wasn't all rosy. They weren't all getting along all the time. But when there was a disagreement, they're like, okay, you take this, I'm going to take this, and we're never going to speak again. And they would split and they would find a new place to to roam. And, and, you know, whoever was the victor would stay where they were. But it wasn't like, you owe me all this money now. And the way we have it with our court system you know, they really do just entangle you in this system from birth. And, and like you put, you know, raise you in a state sponsored school and just put this state religion, this statism right into your mind from day one. Right. So that's the other aspect of it. And one of the reasons that, you know, it's a giant scam is that they're selling it to the population using all of the tricks and techniques of an unethically manipulative religion or a cult, but they don't call it a religion, but they're sliding the belief in government to the population as a pseudo religion called statism. And statism is the belief in the legitimacy, the desirability and the necessity of having a government. Now, the religion aspect comes in, and so we're going to force you to go, we're going to force kids to go to the mandatory church school where the teacher, the priest, is going to teach them the common prayer of the, of the Pledge of Allegiance. They're going to have you sing the hymns of the national anthem. They're going to take you to uh, Mecca, Washington, D.C., kind of in middle school, where they're going to take you into the cathedral of the Capitol building that looks like uh, a, uh, you know, the Vatican for a reason. Everything's large and oversized, so you feel small and insignificant. The judges wear vestments. Uh, you know, they sit on high above you. They take the kids to uh, the temples, and show them the deities of Jefferson and Lincoln, and it's very hushed and reverent, and they're just running game on the population. And then if you don't understand that that's going on, then you've got this warm and fuzzy about the, you know, the idea of being an American and about the idea of, of this is the greatest country in the world without understanding that you're just being completely scammed out of half your income by, you know, a system that is running game on you. I mean, it is a flat out game, but once you understand how that game works, well then boom, you, you know, you can't be fooled if you understand how the magician does the trick. So with the book government, the biggest scam in history exposed, that's what I'm trying to do is expose how the magician does the trick so that you can't be fooled by the trick. Absolutely. So it's the belief in the legitimacy, legitimacy, the, the necessity, necessity and the desirability. Right. So is government legitimate? No, because you can't delegate rights. You don't have yourself to a representative. You can't be bound by a social contract. So it isn't legitimate. Is it necessary? Do we have to have a government? Well, no, we don't use the example of the Indians. The Indians didn't have a government. They had, you know, they did, you know, they did fantastic without it. And then once, once the, our forefathers conquered the Indians, what's the first thing they did is they ran government on them. They put, they, they took the Indian kids away from their parents. They put them into a mandatory Indian boarding school where they began teaching them the flag and everything like that. And with when one generation, they took the once proud and free Indians and they turned them into taxpayers and order followers. 
And so, so is government necessary? It is not. So the, the world is this self-organizing place. Everything that you want government to do could be done better, faster, cheaper by the free market. So you, so you could, so you'd still have the, you know, quote unquote, uh, the police, but it would be Brinks or it would be ADT and they would compete to protect you and to protect your neighborhood. And you would actually be able to see who does a better job, who gets more restitution and you'd be able to, you know, play them off. But that security guard that you hire, he only has rights that you have. And so you have the ability to protect your life, liberty, and property. So you can delegate that right to a security company like ADT or Garda or Brinks to exercise that right on your behalf. But when the security guard shows up and your neighbor is having a poker game or smoking a plant, they're not able to arrest your neighbor for smoking a plant or having a, a, a poker game because you don't have the ability to do that. And so you can't delegate a right that you don't have yourself to somebody else. And so when you see the government doing all these things with all these rights that you don't have, well, you got to say, well, how did the government get rights that the people don't have? So if the, pe- if, the, if the political authority comes from we the people, well, then how did the government get rights that you don't have? They're scammers. It's been a scam the entire time. It's been the biggest scam in history. Right, right. And there's this illusion of consensus, this illusion of democracy that's, you know, schemed up with the help of the media. But I guess... When we're in this realm, you know, you hear a lot of people looking for someone to blame, someone to pin it on, you know, and it seems to me like there's not one group that can be blamed for this. It's just the system itself. Voters. Okay. Voters Voters themselves. Explain, please. It is literally karma. Right. So if you, if you think about it, okay, the Republicans are saying, Hey, vote for my guy. And he's going to rob everybody and he's going to put these policies into practice. And the Democrats are like, wait, no, vote for my guy and he's going to rob everybody and he's going to put these into practice. Volunteers are like, hey, why don't we not rob anybody? Well, you know, and so if you're out there and you're advocating that your neighbor be robbed to put some you know, political schemes, you know, by a politician into, into practice. Well, don't be surprised when you get a negative result because you're out there voting to rob your neighbor. You're literally voting to rob your neighbor. So, I mean, so, so there, in a way there's, it's, you know, I look at at government as, as a karma for, you know, not understanding the basics of morality to understand that you shouldn't be advocating to rob your neighbor and you shouldn't be, you know, supporting a system based on violence. And so, you know, as a volunteerist, you know, I'm not responsible for any of these. I didn't vote these people into power. I'm over here exposing the illegitimacy of the whole thing. So that is the way to be, you know, to keep your karma up and your karma good is don't be out there advocating to rob your neighbors. <laughs> right. And it, it seems all that simple. And uh, especially when you put it that way, but I guess my question really is more why, you know, to, you know, you might not have an answer for this, but why do you think people fall into the trap of participating in government 
maybe not on the side of voting, but you know, it seems like there's this illusion that people fall like they're going to do this to help, right? And 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 voters have that impression that oh yeah these people they they're just the best and brightest so they're going to go to this position and they're going to do everybody some good and that's just the way this thing works when in reality it seems like there's a, a system that blocks certain people from getting in those positions and allows others to sort of get that quick ticket in you know the the powerful and the elite the wealthy the one percent idea. Yeah, so it's it's easily so so government not only is immoral, and not only does it not deliver the goods, but it it's easily hijacked by moneyed interests. Right. It is so easily hijacked by moneyed interests that the whole thing is just it's a dumb idea. Like, and and the reason they get away with it though again is that you know they've they've slid it to the population as a religion without calling it a religion, but using all the tools and techniques of an unethically manipulative religion or a cult. And if you're, you know, and, and because they slide it to the population before they're old enough to uh, evaluate the morality and the logic of, of the claim, then people become little, it's a religion. I mean, you, Take a look. I'm sure you guys have seen the people with the flags flying out of their, you know, trucks and you know, giant American flags and people that have the American flag in their in their home, you know, outside their home, the same way that some people have crosses out, you know, front their home. And so, so they have been 100% chumped by this system, and they are religiously attached to it and all of the mythology of the founding fathers, etc. Now. I'm going to give you one simple way that you can understand the immorality and the stupidity of government and the government's laws and everything like that. And anybody, if you, if your idea or anybody's idea, if anybody, like, like when you're evaluating people saying, Hey, I think we ought to do that. Or, Hey, we need to have a law for this, or, Hey, we need to have a law for that or whatever it is. If, your idea it requires somebody robbing somebody else of their money against their will to put the idea into practice. That's how you know it's a dumb idea. Okay. <laughs> like, like seriously, like anytime you hear somebody advocating that there ought to be a law for something or whatever, when you say, Hey, there ought to be a law. What you're saying is, is I think that men with guns need to go and take money from the population as a whole and hand it to this group or that group or spend it here or spend it there or whatever. Well, if that's your, if your idea involves people getting robbed at gunpoint, it's a stupid idea. Now, most people don't think that way because they've been taught that it's legitimate for you to vote to rob your neighbor for this or that or whatever. And so, but it's only when you break it down to the base elements that you can really understand, you know, what's going on here. But, but that is a surefire way to tell if, a, if an idea is dumb or not, is if it requires somebody being robbed to put it into effect. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think that's the biggest thing that you can expose to someone is like, Hey, is the, the, <laughs> you know, the claims that are being made, are they actually like, do you feel safer, you know, with these people putting it the way they put it? I mean, nine times out of 10, when you look at the results, they're usually underfunded projects that 
don't make a lot of improvements on what they're purportingly taking your money to improve. You know, you can look at dams, you can look at wildlife spaces. I mean, these are things that are a little more close to home for me, but I mean, Connecticut's, they talk about, oh, we have the cleanest water in the whole country. Meanwhile, I can go on a hike right now and find plenty of trash in a lake or, or in a river stream, you know? So this is all just an impression that's being given. And it's no coincidence that as much money, you know, goes into this state as it does being, you know, where it is in proximity to New York city and Boston and all that. But it's definitely, you know, robbing Paul to pay Peter, but also systemizing that, you know, cause you see it, it with the disparity in a place like this, where there's extremely wealthy communities and you're, you know, you're familiar. You've been Connecticut's not the only place like this, but it's, mm -hmm. it's the disparity and people who are in these communities that are impoverished have this mentality that seems to me from, you know, my perspective programmed almost like programmed into them. And it's, you know, people claim that it's the underfunding in these schools, but by that logic, it's like, wouldn't they be better off if the, the schools aren't doing such a great job to, to brainwash them? Like what's the, what's the, the, you know, play, the play there, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, is it really an energy harvest? Is it more than just, you know, oh, we're, we're just putting people in a, a position of poverty. So there's more for us. Cause I look at it and I think like there's an actual energy uh, exchange going on there have you ever considered that or looked into that well to, to your point to your point of of karma i guess really because like when you're in in a community that you know isn't doing well you tend to like think oh i can only make it this far you know you have some cases where people strive and go above and beyond but for the most part there's this sense of like oh we'll never get out of here we're you know the the like in a caste system kind of way but to your point about karma, it's like they're setting that up in a head ahead of time for people. So you're born into a karma that, you know, only benefits those that are at the top of that pyramid, so to speak. Well, I mean, we've been born into a system that is run by organized crime and we're being robbed. And that, you know, when we talked about inflation earlier, I mean, it, that is the by far the most uh, pernicious of all of the government thefts. The, uh, you know, when I, when I came up, minimum wage was $3 and 35 cents when I was in high school and gas cost a buck. It was less than a buck. I can remember being offended when gas went over like a dollar, you know? And so what is, you know, that, that stealing the value out of everybody's money over time that's the thing that is impoverishing society the most. If we had, if we had an honest money system, then your dollar should buy more every single year. Okay. If we had stable, hard money, then your, the dollar should buy more as innovations and productivity improvements reduce the costs of manufacturing and distributing the necessities and luxuries of life. So, so imagine how wealthy everybody would be if your dollar bought more and more and more and more each year. But not only are we being robbed 
of the improvement in the purchasing power of the dollar every year, but they're actually stealing by allowing these banks to, you know, print willy-nilly, you know, dollars to, you know, out the out the yin yang. It's the delta between, you know, what we should the you know the 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 increased purchasing power of stable money and what is being stolen and so that's the thing that is impoverishing the people the most is this crooked monetary system that most people don't really understand how it works right right and and i think what i was leading towards is like you see these communities and what do most the average person thinks oh crime you know but the, the truth is they're responding that way because there has been a great crime done to them, right? And you yeah. see these people in the maybe the worst positions, they turn towards crime. And, we're, you know, it, it's like this inversion is happening. I guess that's really what I'm trying to get. And the, and the people on the top who are benefiting from government are warping other people's karma through this system. Yes, and sorry, I lost my train of thought. I'm, I'm, I'm a little under the weather, and so I apologize if I'm having a hard time concentrating. It's all right. But the other, you know, the other thing I would say to that point is, you know, I, you know, I used inflation as one example of the way that government impoverishes us. But really, if you think of the government school system, they're not teaching. You know, not, not only are they not educating people, but they're not teaching any morality. And so it's a completely morality-free zone because if they taught basic morality, if everybody understood basic morality, then you can't have government. Like if you, you know, if, if the average person understood right from wrong in the, in, a re, in, a, in the real sense, then they would never, ever vote to rob their neighbor. And so the government school can't teach morality because morality would expose the illegitimacy and criminality of government. And so a lot of these, you know, these kids, not only are they growing up in impoverished situations, but they're intellectually impoverished and they're morally impoverished as well. And so they don't understand the basics of morality. And then that is going to produce all kinds of societal problems and issues. And those are, you know, those are the kind of the unintended consequences of government and its programs. I can tell you, I can tell you 50 ways that government, you know, impoverishes the population. I can't think of a single way where government actually does anybody any good, except for, I mean, you know, except for in situations like police where there would still be, you know, like I said, there would still be armed protective services. There's, you know, there's a market people know, you know, because people want to be safe in their homes and their businesses, there's absolutely a market for armed protective services and the free market does a better job than a government bureaucracy. So, so, you know, there's no, there's nothing that government does that is going to improve your lot in life at all over and above what could be done in the free market. So like it is, there's so many different ways that government is impoverishing us. Right. Right. And you know, you see that, I mean, what comes to mind is my grandfather and what he would say to me if I tried to tell him something like this, you know, being a firefighter, he would probably tell me, well, you know, it used to work that way and firefighters would compete over which house that, you know, they would, they would let you know they would extinguish right and sometimes mm -hmm. there would be certain houses where that you know, there's no fire station to cover them right and government mm -hmm. came in to help the, alleviate that problem and made firehouses you know like a, a public work sort of thing so i mean to that point 
do you think that the even something like firefighting would be better off in the private sector? Absolutely. So the so nobody would insure your like the in, the insurance companies would provide fire protective services. Right. Okay. No no insurance company is going to insure homes and businesses if there's no way to protect their investment. And so that is you know that that is a, a good that would be provided by the free market. You don't need to have government. That's essentially the way that they did it. You know, I mean, they did it in a, you know, in on the on the plains of the country and everything. They did it with volunteers. They did it. They self-organized fire departments. They did it. You know, voluntarily. You know, until the government took over and sucked all the the oxygen out of the alternatives. Right. And that's you know that's typically you know what the government will do is. It will come in and it will say, only we can provide fire services. Only we can provide armed protective services. Only we can provide the courts. Only we can provide air traffic control. And then they seize that. They kick out the market participants that would have done it faster, cheaper, and better. And then you're stuck with a, you know, uh, a bureaucracy that is crooked at the top. And that's the other thing, you know, speaking of karma, I, and I hate to tell, you know, people this that work for the government, but if you're living off money stolen from others at the point of a gun, there's karma that comes with that. There's karma that comes with living off money stolen from others at the point of a gun. So you want to avoid it and you're going to get better karma and better outcomes to boot. Right. Now, you know, one argument that comes to mind is the, you know, the regulation argument, you know, like these companies are going to, you know, try to cut corners. They're going to pollute. They're going to hide the fact that they're polluting. So who's going to, you know, enforce the rules other than the government, right? Playing devil's advocate here. You know, what's your response to that? So number one, the government is the biggest polluter on earth. So right. the idea the government is to protect you, <laughs> protect the environment is ludicrous on its face. Okay. Just ludicrous on its face. Now in a, in a world of, so, so keep in mind that, that there's a couple different things to think about here. Number one, pollution is a trespass. Okay. So there's a way of, of dealing with pollution without necessarily, you know, having to have having to go through the government, you can the free market, nobody wants to do business with somebody that pollutes. Okay. And so there's a there's a kind of a market discipline that that, you know, that you could could be brought to bear through economic boycott, through going to, you know, the competitors, through, you know, a, a variety of ways but you're going to uh, number one. It, so the so the government isn't protecting the environment as it is. There's other mechanisms that protect the environment. There's a great book called Privately Protected Places that breaks down you know different ways where individuals and organizations get together to protect the environment in ways that the government can't. And so like the North Maine woods is like, I want to say it's like, God, it's like 13 million acres and in Maine and, and uh, I think New Hampshire and Vermont. And they offer everything that the state parks do and whatever, but they do it for free without, you know, not free, you got to pay for it, but it's still cheaper than going to the government, uh, going to a government national park. And that's a privately protected place 
that is being protected by a combination of environmentalists, paper companies, and others. Weyerhaeuser does not clear-cut their own. They clear-cut government land because there's no incentive. They're not going to have necessarily have that lease next year. And so there's no economic incentive for them to take care of government land the way they have the same economic incentive to take care of their own land. Right. Okay. Because the way that it works with the Department of Agriculture and the Forest Service is that, you know, you'll win a lease to log a portion of a national park or a national forest or, you know, whatever kind of land it is. And then you don't, you're not going to get that lease next year. And so why not clear cut the whole thing? And, you know, it's, you know, right. you don't, somebody else will kind of a thing. And so there's this perverse uh, incentive, you know, set of kind of economic incentives that almost guarantee that you're going to get a negative outcome anytime you try and do something through the government versus voluntarily and privately and things like that. Right, right. And you're laying out a really clear picture. And I think that's part of the the trick. They obscure the options, as you said, so that people don't even think something like that's possible. You know, I'm sure people didn't even know the majority that that many acres of land are being protected by a group that you know, is, is for the most part operating f- with great intentions. You know, it's pretty uh, obvious to poke holes in the government's intentions. You know, they're so uh, big. But that also brings to mind the, the second part of what I wanted to bring up is like, A, you know, overarching, what do we do about it? But within that, you know, I think a lot of people have this feeling like, well, then if I can't, you know, beat them. You know, I gotta like leave this whole place. You know, I gotta, I gotta get, I don't want to join them, you know, but I gotta get out of here. And I hear, you know, people starting communities in Mexico, going to, you know, poor Costa Rica and, and finding uh, a way to, to self-govern themselves, you know, and it ends up being, you know, the whole cult thing. Oh, don't go there. They're, they're cult leaders. But really what you find is it's, it's more of a case of volunteerism, you know, people are, but do you think that's a, an option or is that more of feeding into the problem? You know, when people go and make these off, off the, out of the country community. No, I'm, I'm for any, anything that advances human freedom. And so if you can get more human freedom in Mexico than you can in the United States, then, you know, then I say, go for it. I think that the way, I think it's an educational issue. I think that that's how we're ultimately going to win and is, is it's a revolution that's only going in one direction. So once people realize the scam of government, once they realize the, you know, the, the illegitimacy of it, the illogic, logical nature of it, the fact that you don't need it, that the market would provide all of that. Well, like once, you know, you don't, nobody ever goes back to going, oh man, you know, I want to get scammed again. I, you know, like once you realize that, you know, that, that it's been a scam, then you're not going to go back to getting scammed. And so that is, that dynamic is going on all over the world. I mean, all over the world, every single day, people are figuring out, you know, how the scam works and they're saying, and they're washing their hands of government and they're not supporting it. And so, you know, this year I, I like uh, homeschooling has gone up 30, you know, because of the COVID. And so these are, these are, these are kids that are never going back to the government school. They're going to be learning, you know, in a lot of cases, not in every case are the, are the parents going to be voluntarists, but like they're, you know, there's a lot of kids that aren't getting the indoctrination anymore. 
And so I look at it as a revolution that's only going in one direction. And I mean, I think that we're going to expose it. The, the reason I designed the book the way that I did is, you know, most people are visual learners. And so the book is really designed to how do you take your friends and your family and your neighbors and your colleagues, and how can you take them from zero to 60 in the shortest amount of time possible. And so the book is kind of scientifically designed to wake up your family that thinks you're crazy so that they go, oh, now I get it. I never, I never got it, but because they saw it with their own eyes, they come to that you know, deeper understanding than uh, that moment of insight versus you know, you know, trying to you know, explain to them over time, you know, just using words. As an example of that, as an example, like, you know, earlier I said, you know, there's six companies running hundreds and hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion that there's all these different information sources in society. And I'm sure that there's somebody in your audience right now that didn't know that's going on. That's like, "Eh, is that true? Is that really what's going on? But if they got a copy of the book and they took a look at the media ownership chart in the book that breaks down that News Corp which is Fox News, doesn't just own Fox News. They own 175 newspapers. They own satellite networks. They own television distribution. They own television production. They own uh, television distribution, television production, film studios, book publishing companies, magazine publishers. And then that's just one of them. There's five more with the exact same dynamic. Well, if you see that media ownership chart, all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, there's six companies running hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion that there's all these different news sources in society. And because they saw that with their own eyes, they come to that moment insight. Like I did not understand that that was going on. I did not, you know, I mean, I thought these were all independently owned companies and that, you know, whatever. But when you can see it with your own eyes, then you come to that moment of insight. Yeah, this artificial consensus that they create—it's—it's—it's it's, it's deafening the 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 loudness of it when you're in it. But when you find podcasting, and I'm sure this is why you know you've joined us on so many different podcasts, put the book out there because this is where we're fighting back this new alternative media space where people are finding the truth. And and you mentioned that in the Liberty Hacks section of the book, some hacks to to, I assume, find more freedom. And you mentioned that there are plenty of organizations online that are putting out unbiased information and covering and doing real journalism as opposed to these, you know, the slurry of subsidiaries. Right. So, you know, in the old days, there were only three stations on television plus PBS and the government wasn't giving anybody uh, any broadcasting licenses. And even if you want, even if you had a broadcasting license, the, the, to be able to achieve just what we're doing right would be a million dollars worth of, you know, gear and, you know, broadcast equipment and everything like that. And so now innovation and technology has reduced the cost of being able to be a broadcaster. And so now a thousand flowers are blooming and you're actually seeing authentic voices in a developing alternative media begin to challenge the, begin to challenge this, what I like to call propaganda matrix of 
six companies running hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion of choice. And so now it really is an information war. And half the country has figured out that the television is lying and half the country hasn't. And you can tell who's who because they're wearing masks. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, another way they do it in a very similar way, and you mentioned this here, is with food. I mean, they take the same three or four unhealthy ingredients and repackage them into a thousand different types of food and all of them are crap and not doing anything for your health. And that's the cheapest option when you go to a store and you got to go out of your way to find quality food. I think that's definitely, you know, adding to the problem. And I don't know if that would be possible in a voluntary, you know, economy because, Who's going to buy that kind of food when you have the option of, you know, a healthier, you know, competitor? There's no competition there. There's, you know, all of this government background that goes on to make it easier for companies to use corn syrup, to make it easier for companies to use sugar. They get a kickback. It all comes around to incentivizing these things that are not good for our health at all. When, as you put it, in a free market economy... People wouldn't be supporting, you know, Coca-Cola and Pepsi. What do they do for us? Not only that, but I mean, if you if you think about it, the government who claims to, you know, is is you know claiming to look after your own good, they won't label genetically modified organisms. Right. They won't allow. They will not do that. Now, the free market. You've got the GMO project. Which is a you know a, a nonprofit that has a you know a, a certification program for food manufacturers that that don't use genetically modified ingredients and they went and they did it voluntarily and I got to tell you I don't buy grains unless it says you know GMO free unless it's got the GMO project certification on it and so the government failed and the free market delivered. And so that G, the GMO project is, is one example of how you have, you know, pure food and drugs in a, in a, in a regulatory way or in a, uh, sorry, in a, in a way without government. And so Underwriters Laboratory is another example. Underwriters Laboratory is a private company that works for uh, the insurance companies and certifies electrical equipment that goes into businesses so that it doesn't burn your, so it doesn't burn, you know, your, your business or your, you know, home down. And so that is a complete free market response, no government necessary. I, I gave the example of air traffic control earlier. Canada has privatized its air traffic control and no planes are dropping out of the sky. And so really, you know, every single thing the government does would, you know, be done faster, better, cheaper if there wasn't a government. The government is the thing that's screwing everything up. But it's hard to get people to understand that because they're religiously attached because they got slid to them as a pseudo religion before they were old enough to understand what's going on. Right. Right. And I guess the only, you know, hang up I have is just the association with corporations and evil. And I'm I'm obviously you know, in a free market, those companies wouldn't do very well because we'd hope that there'd be some transparency and we'd know what they're really up to. But it seems like, you know, a lot of these corporations, for the most part, go hand in glove with the government, you know, and yeah. and we have these sort of pseudo government 
corporations that are wielding so much more power. And then you see, of course, when you look at who's actually in these companies, they all have, you know, mixed resumes. They were in government and then they go to work for on a board of one of these companies and vice versa. So, you know, it's definitely it's confusing when you look at it and and see what corporations are up to, you know. Let's talk about that. That's a great point. That's an excellent point. So first of all, the the corporate I believe the corporate dominance that you see today is is a result of this dishonest monetary system. So the money center banks, the city groups and the Wells Fargo's and the Bank of America's and and all the rest of them, once they got the ability to create money out of thin air, okay, the first thing that they did was begin buying up the newspapers. The second thing they, you know, and, and radio stations and whatever, so that nobody would tell you how you're getting robbed. But I think the second thing they did is they began to provide essentially unlimited capital to certain companies to consolidate their own industries in a predatory way. Okay. So you've got, you've got market participants that have, imagine if you're playing Monopoly, okay. And the banker is cheating and he's reaching under the table and he's pulling out $500 bills at the end of the game who owns every single thing on the board and who are renters and debtors. And so, so that's essentially what's going on is that these banks are providing affiliated cartel companies, unlimited capital to be able to consolidate their own industry. And that dynamic has been going on for over a hundred years. And so that is the reason why you see the, the kind of criminality in corporations that you do see, because at the top, the ownership is, is organized crime. That's BlackRock, that's Vanguard, that's how they're, you know, that's how they're doing it. And so, and, and because they have, they've been able to engineer this dominance, the companies are somewhat immune from market signals. They don't have competitors because their competitors have been bought up or run out of business through, you know, by trying to compete with unlimited bankster capital. And so you just would not see this, this corporate system that you see now, had it not been for this crooked monetary system, being able to provide certain companies, unlimited capital. Right. Right. So the two, you know, really do go hand in glove and, and incestuously make each the problem worse and worse on both sides. So, yeah, I think opting out altogether is the best thing we can do to take control back. And you see that with, you know, this you know non-participation in the system itself. And that can seem scary to people like, oh, I can't go to the grocery store. I got to find food for myself. You know, I got to stop, you know, using maybe even this money system altogether and find ways where I can trade and, and you know, be as self-sufficient as possible. I mean, have you gone to those lengths in your own life and, and what kind of wisdom can you share with us from that? Uh, yeah, so I try and rely on the government 
at not a lot of at all. And so the, you know, the, uh, you want to be, you know, growing your own food is like printing your own money. I like to go to farmer's markets. I like to do business. I think knowing your farmer is a solid strategy. I think that being agriculturally being, you know, being able to be somewhat agriculturally self-sufficient is, is to, to degree that you can achieve it is, is going to be good. I think definitely don't put your kids in the government school. Do not, you know, like do not, do not call the police unless you absolutely have to try and deal with everything yourself. Don't, there's no reason to involve organized crime in your life in any way, shape or form. And I'm shocked at how many people, you know, like call the cops to like, you know, try and, you know, talk some sense into their wayward child and the cops show up and, and accidentally shoot him to death or something. And so like, you just don't, you never ever want to in, involve the government in your life in any way, shape or form. And uh, that's a, it's a pretty solid piece of strategy for most people. Right on. Yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, as best as you can deal with situations on your own is always a a plus. You don't want to involve outside interests at all because they're going to come in with their biases and, and deadly mm-hmm. things can happen when you invite a bunch of people with, with the weapons and, and the, the right, given right to kill from the government. I mean, that's, like you said before, that's the government's rights that we don't share. It's like, what what makes you so special where you're delegating all this power to people, but we don't have that power, you know, and who gives you the right to, to choose it? You, know, you go back in history and you see all these rulers who have the divine right, you know, and there's these bloodlines. And it really does seem when you go through uh, and, and take a really deep look at it that these people in power, they've been connected to that position itself throughout their genealogy you know have you ever thought that maybe there's something otherworldly going on reptilians lizard people have you looked into that possibility my my running joke is if it is aliens at the top it's organized crime aliens (laughs) like like, like just the way to think of it is organized crime and there's okay let's say there's so so if they were good aliens then they would be voluntarists and they would leave people to do what they want. So, but if they're if they're robbing society, then it's organized crime. And so, the voluntarist position is, you know, you're not advocating to rob your neighbor. You're not saying that your ideas are so good that they, you know, that, that you just gotta, you know, they just gotta be mandatory. And that 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 position is the moral one. It is the logical one. You don't have to apologize for not, you know, for, for, for anything that comes after the way that, you know, you frequently have to do if, if you got tricked into voting for a politician, the other, there's one more point I wanted to make on that, but we'll come back to it. All right. Well, I was, I was also looking through and I, I see that there's some information on, spirituality, eating less meat, drinking, you know, less dairy or even none at all. I myself, I, I, I eat a lot of yogurt. I eat cheese. So I don't know if I'll be giving up dairy anytime soon, but give me some reasons why maybe I should. And, and is that part of your lifestyle, veganism and avoiding things like that? 
So I was a vegan for a long time and now I've actually, I've actually been eating, I've been eating meat for a little bit and I haven't liked the way what it's done. And I kind of want to, I think I'm probably going to end up going back. And so I didn't have good, I haven't had real, you know, great results on it. I'll say with dairy, 75% of the population is lactose intolerant. Because you don't, you know, the we're just not designed to process, you know, milk of a different species. We're the only species that drinks the milk of another species, you know, or drinks milk after, you know, childhood essentially. And so I break down in the book. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but dairy is is somewhat addictive because it's got casomorphines in it. If that sounds like morphine, it's because it's the it's 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 also an opioid receptor, and so I look at the I look at the existing food system to a degree as as what happens when you give the addiction industry control over the food supply is they're going to sell you whatever products are the most addictive, whether that is refined sugar, whether it's dairy, you know, these are, these are, these are things that, that have, you know, and have negative health impacts. And so, so you've got to, you know, you've got to be very, very careful as to what you're, what you're eating and you're putting into your system. Wow. Yeah. I mean, people always joke with me, oh, you must've drank a lot of milk and it it is true. I mean, you've seen how tall I am, but I I did, I did drink water. (laughs) Well, I'm a tall glass of milk because I was drinking a lot of milk when I was a kid and I don't know what effect that had on me, but I did notice last year when I was working on a, a dairy farm, just like not even as a real job, just as kind of a hobby because a friend, uh, friend's family owned it. I was learning about what they do and all that. But I noticed that raw milk, A, tasted better, but then B, had all these weird regulations around it. And it was even illegal in some states. And what's all the fuss about raw milk? And why is the government getting in on on whether or not I should be drinking raw milk or not you know and and what you find out is well they want you to pasteurize it they don't want they don't want it to be raw they want you to put it in a microwave and kill all of the the living things out of it now whether that ends up being good or bad in the long run i know that might not be your expertise but the point about the casio morphines i find that really fascinating because i mean yeah i'm probably addicted to to dairy just by the way i'm talking about it you could probably tell you know i'm still not still not saying i'll never drink it again but yeah it definitely brings to mind like the movie clockwork orange where they're drinking milk from the from the weird in the weird bar and like other things that i've seen in pop culture where milk is is kind of portrayed in that light like almost addicting and, and sickly you know and and i always had a really fond taste for it <laughs> so the uh, the reason that the government mandates uh pasteurization is again it's just government you know criminality right so so in the old days when you would buy you know milk from small like little tiny independent dairies or from the dairy farmer down the road it would come in a glass bottle and you could see how much cream was in the milk okay and if there wasn't a lot of cream, you knew that you may be getting ripped off because if you're a, a, a crooked dairy farmer, then you can just sit there with a water hose and make, uh, and, and make a little bit of extra milk, but you're going to lose that cream. Right. And so big, dirty dairies, they didn't want to compete on quality. 
And also the bigger the dairy gets, the harder it is to, to run a clean operation. And so the bigger the dairy is, the more E. coli and, you know, poop and, and everything like that. And so the big dairies were making people sick and the big dairies could not compete on quality and they could not compete on, you know, having a, a product that wasn't going to get you sick. And so they didn't want to do it. So they just lobbied and bribed government to have government mandate pasteurization so that they don't have to compete on quality and they can run a nasty ass huge you know filthy operation because they're gonna you know you know kill everything every living thing in the milk with the pasteurization process so that's got it again and so now raw milk if you're going to drink milk is way better than pasteurized milk but you don't have that option because the dairy industry lobbied and bribed the government to make it illegal to sell raw milk. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, that brings to mind some not so fond memories of tasting uh, shit, for lack of a better word, when opening up your average, you know, gallon of milk. You know, I remember my parents, they would get gallons of milk from the freaking gas station so you know that stuff was pasteurized and not healthy so and you know the more you know the more you realize you don't know and the more caution you have for these things that seem like a quick fix you know and it brings us to what we're dealing with today in the in the world of the pandemic you know, where everybody thinks that this medical authority is the a lifesaver and we need to trust them. And they, you know, they have all of the healing answers and, and what they say goes. And like you put it, now we see very clearly who's a free thinker and who's not. I mean, it's you're literally wearing it on your face. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, on the on the um, more positive note, because we are wrapping up here, you know, what do you have to say about spirituality in the face of all these things and and how can we begin to live uh, a freer existence as human beings no matter what country we're in well i'll say this you know karma wise don't vote to rob your neighbors and you know the way to evaluate whether any policy prescription is good or not is does it involve you know somebody stealing money from somebody and redistributing it through the political process and, you know, if, if you think it's a good idea, it, you know, the way that you can tell it's a bad idea is, is, is violence and extortion are involved. And the, 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 I guess the final thing that I'd say is that, you know, it really is this revolution that's only going in one direction. And so I, I'm very, very, you know, optimistic for our future. I think, you know, when this, this government system collapses, I think there's going to you know, there's, there's not going to be a, there's not going to be any way to have a, you know, soft landing. Uh, you know, I feel, you know, I feel bad telling people this, you know, social security, just not going to be there, you know, like Bernie Madoff, you know, after the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme was exposed as a Ponzi scheme, you know, the money's gone. And so, uh, you know, it, the, get yourself as undependent upon government as humanly possible and, and after it collapses, make sure that we reboot the world 
in a, as a voluntary place where nobody has rights that other people don't. Nobody gets to use violence or extortion on anybody else. The free market will organize, you know, organize things. I remember the one thing I wanted to, the, I think the one thing I wanted to mention earlier was, and I've lost it again. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm like under the weather. The final thing I'd say is, so we're, we're in the process of, of uh, Indiegogo campaign for the fifth edition of the book. So government, the big Biggest scam in history exposed has gone through four editions. I'm now in the fifth and I'm about to upgrade it for the for the age of the COVID and break down how the scam of the COVID worked. And we've got a little in, uh, Indiegogo going artofliberty.org forward slash Indiegogo artofliberty.org forward slash Indiegogo. You can reserve your uh, fifth edition copy there. And uh, I thank you so much for your time and uh, a great conversation. Yeah, brother. Thank you so much for helping me understand this a lot better and putting it all together in this book. Like you said, an incredible visual aid. And I think this is the kind of tool we need in our tool belt if our families do think we're crazy because, you know, it's not easy to, to spout off all this stuff and the way you have it very well organized with graphs and memes and all sorts of things that are going to pop off the page and grab people's attention. I guess the one last thing that I got to ask you before we go is cryptocurrency. You know, I hear some people in the conspiracy realm talking about, oh, it's the blockchain. They're going to lock us up. And, you know, what are your thoughts on cri- cryptocurrency? Is it the next uh, new world order tool or, or is it the road? To- well, it depends on which one wins. And so, uh, you know, I break down, actually break down in the book how uh, the NSA released a technical white paper in 1996, uh, a decade before Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper. It was called How to Make a Mint, the Cryptography of Anonymous Electronic Cash. And over a decade before the NSA had outlined the blockchain, the crypto wallet, the whole thing. And so I do think that, that they were behind Bitcoin. But once they, once they, that idea was now in the market, then you had, you know, honest other participants come together and say, oh, wow, you can make your own money. And so now we have essentially a free market in money. And so we had, uh, is, is, uh, you know, there's an entire section in the book on, uh, you know, cryptos and blockchain and everything. And we're focused on, uh, you know, privacy coins. And so, so, you know, the problem with, with Bitcoin was well, got a lot of problems. Number one, it's slow and it's uh, the tr- transaction fees are too high. But one of the main problems is that it's a public blockchain where everybody can see, you know, exactly how much money is in every single wallet, who is paid, who, what, you know, and, and, and all of that is, is, uh, you know, mineable. People can go and, and uh, using blockchain explorers, figure out if they understand, if they know what your, your address is, then they can find out exactly how many coins you have, who you've paid, when, you know, where. There's other cryptocurrencies that have privacy features that are, you know, that ha- that obfuscate the destination and the origination address and the amount of the transactions. And I think we picked 
four of those. Uh, we we highlighted four of those. One of the one of the four that we chose to highlight this month popped up 10x. And so uh, that was Epic Cash, and uh, that was one of the four that we highlighted. And this month alone, it went up 10x. So we've been very, very prescient in some of the, you know, some of the technologies that we've chosen to focus on, and the market is starting to seeing the value in having privacy, uh, privacy coins to to keep the government out of your financial business. Wow. See, thank you. That is the piece of it that I needed to hear because for the longest time I was. Just thinking, you know, oh, this is all a scam. And the point about the NSA, not a surprise at all, even though I had not heard that before. So thank you for sharing that. And then on the point of these four cryptos that we should be getting behind that are supporting our privacy. I mean, by all means, folks, if you're out there, if you're on Coinbase, please go check out Howard's book and get in on this new free market cash, because I think that's what's going to help us still use this infrastructure but not be stuck within the the downfall of the system that we've all been born into i mean i i tend to believe that all of this you know internet as bad as it was intentionally is going against them and we're going to use this infrastructure here to create a freer world hopefully so uh, maybe this is another step towards that but etienne this has been a real pleasure, man. Like I said, we've met in person, and I hope to have you back on again soon, especially when that fifth edition comes out so we can get into some stuff on COVID and whatnot. But that's a conversation for a different day, my friend. Folks, please go and check out Etienne's book, Government, The Biggest Scam in History. And where could they find that? Is there a website that you're you're on? Yeah, you can order the fourth edition at government-scam.com. And those are shipping immediately. And then we expect to have, you can pre-order the fifth edition at artofliberty.org forward slash Indiegogo. And uh, we expect those to be shipping out in January. All right. What an episode with Etienne de la Bautier and Ron from New England, my buddy, joining me in the intro. Etienne is also a buddy. It's funny, when I met Etienne, I was in New Hampshire, and that was also the time where I almost met Ron. He was not home, but I was able to pitch a tent on his lawn. We've talked about this before. Either way, a lot of cool things happened at Porcupine Fest. Tara and I learned a lot about those kind of events. Etienne was a shining light there. There was a few people that we resonated with. Etienne was definitely one of those people. Uh, Richard Grove is another, I will say. Uh, Ernie Hancock is another as well. A couple others who are not uh, not podcasters. Oh, Bootsy Greenwood, who will be joining me on the show very soon. He was there. So a lot of cool characters porcupine fest about five months ago and here we are episode 100 and teen of the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast we did a nice extended intro so i don't know how long the outro is going to be for this episode but i do have a clip from the inbox that i want to play for you guys from a man who called 
in from upstate New York. Left us a really kind message. His name is Brian. Let's listen to this. Hey, Mark. My name is Brian. I am from upstate New York. I wanted to leave you a quick message. Um, I tried to leave you a longer one, but I'm not sure if that worked. Might have been too long. So quickly, just wanted to give you um, a recap of what I tried to send you the first time. Um, I live in upstate New York around the Lake George area. Um, I love your podcast between you and Michael Juan um, and um, the whole apocalypse uh, podcast is great. Um, I wanted to let you know that uh, I grew up in Connecticut, uh, in Sherman, Connecticut, which is uh, south of Kent which you went through to see Kent Falls, and I'm very aware of the Scaticoke Indian. Um, there, there is a dirt road that was on the other side of Route 7 um, that we used to go to. Uh, there used to be a camping spot around there um, that we used to camp on the reservation area land, so I'm familiar with that. Um, I know a lot of the places that you spoke of, uh, did not know of the ley lines, uh, apparently. Um, haven't been really into or knew about ley lines as much uh, until uh, recently, so this is very interesting, um, especially with Kent Falls being on one of those. Uh, you know, that was a place where us growing up, we would skip school and hang out near the falls, and so that very interesting in that sense. Um, I also lived briefly in uh, the Catskills up near the Ashokan Reservoir, uh, near uh, Woodstock, so I'm familiar with that area and a lot of uh, crazy amounts of slate deposits there, um, and a lot of different weird formations, uh, so I am familiar with that as well. Um, but the thing that I wanted to speak with you about was that I had uh, been looking into stuff around here in Lake George region because there's a lot of history with the French and Indian War um, and a, a bunch of stuff like that, um, dealing with that. Um, so quickly, um, there's a monument off the side of the road that's very, like, uh, hidden. And it's um, a lot. The guy's name was Williams. Um, he was a... Uh, colonel or a lieutenant again i apologize for not knowing the information with me because i'm driving um he died on the battle on, at this battle um of lake george used the land that he had in uh, massachusetts that he was uh given by his father uh to turn it into a college so williams college that's i think around north adams and graylock mountain um that is is was formed by his last request. Um, going more deeply into the family, I realized that um, his parents were one of those people that lived on the Connecticut River. I think you said the gods of the Connecticut River. Uh, so I thought that was interesting that they were a part of that group that you were talking about on the Connecticut River. Um, the final thing, and I'll make it quick, is that the um, looking through Google Maps of the area around me, um, there is an, uh, uh, north of here, northwest of Lake George, there is a, uh, a town called North Creek, and around that, um, I saw these weird formations through Google Google Maps, um, kind of like uh, I guess if if you're looking at the Earth and a group of mountains that kind of look like a six pack, I guess like a like a, a you know abdomen six pack, not a 
soda six pack or beer six pack. Um, it's weird. They're kind of like these little, look like these little lo loaf pans, like found like formations that um, nothing is around there. Like there's a adventure camp that's around there, but there's no trails that go through it. Um, there is a pond that's in the middle of them. Um, the Housatonic kind of, uh, I'm sorry, the Hudson uh, kind of snakes around it. Um, so it's kind of very weird. And then on top of that, I realized that that area is a highly huge um, a deposit of garnet and garnet mines. Um, there, there, there's a company there um, that uh, uses the garnet to make drill bits or, or like some sort of like a, uh, industrial drilling. Um, um, and then there's also like a mom and pop little store where they've been making garnet jewelry for years um, in and around the area. Um, uh, there was also like Garnet Hill, which was a place that looked like people used to sled down. And so there, um, there's definitely a lot of garnet here, which was kind of interesting because I think you just mentioned thoughts and hopefully this isn't too long. No worries. Thank you so much for the message, Brian. Uh, I think there is a time limit on these inbox messages, but no worries. Be sure to send me your address, brother, and I will send you a sticker on the house. Thank you for sending in a message and thanks for the kind words. You know, Mike and I talk about a lot of interesting stuff on your handbook for the apocalypse. And I'm glad to hear that it's inspired you to look into some things that are particular to your area you also shed some light on the connecticut river valley gods which is very very cool tara brought that to my attention and i haven't learned much about it since but it's definitely in the periphery and and that's what the synchros are for so we'll see what comes up next and this is possibly a connection here brian so thank you brother for adding to the synchro soup williams college very fascinating stuff and that area with the adventure camp jeez we might as well start a my family thinks i'm crazy adventure camp because that sounds awesome uh i think tara would like that idea but either way brian we appreciate you thank you for your message and i realize i got another message that i have not played on the show a shorter message from our homie moon wolf and yes that is a name i gave him if you join the patreon you find out more we give every patron their own special name so join the patron and you can become a moon wolf possibly too hey mark moon wolf here uh, I had a quick question for you and Mike to address on Handbook for the Apocalypse. I heard you say you don't get many recordings on there, so just thought I'd leave a quick question, an easy one to break the ice for people. Um, I love both you guys' work, and I just got to say thanks to Mike. Um, thanks to you both, but Mike's work has really, really helped me to rediscover the joy in seeking mystery in life and not just conspiracy but you know the the mystery and meaning uh, in your own life and the thing the things around us that really go 
almost unnoticed and still till you start looking at them and uh and synchronicities start going and gives you a, a trail to follow it's quite quite enriching i have to say and has really brought me a lot of joy in my personal life so thanks guys um my question was just when you are researching say like a smaller town how do you go about finding um historical information uh my main question is like newspaper archives do you have an online resource for that do you go to the historical societies um I know this isn't necessarily a direct question to do with the content of your handbook for the apocalypse, but I just wonder if you could give any tips on how you guys research a local area and uh, as well um, mineral deposits and uh, waterways. So just your process for how you go about that. Um, yeah. Any, any any tips there would be greatly appreciated. All right. Love you guys. Bye. All right, Don. Thank you, Moonwolf. Shout out to you. Thank you for becoming a patron. And I don't think I've played this on your handbook for the apocalypse yet. And I guess I'm playing it here uh, partly by accident, but not really, because it's a good opportunity to share your handbook for the apocalypse with the listeners of the show who ha- maybe they skipped those episodes and as a matter of fact we're going to be putting those episodes exclusively on the susquehanna alchemy feed don't worry the first 12 episodes will remain here on the my family thinks i'm crazy feed but they're also over there on the susquehanna alchemy feed and we're going to be putting the rest of them there as the show grows and definitely want to build up some subscribers on the my family thinks i'm crazy feed but also susquehanna alchemy feed come on now show mike some love show us some love over there and to answer your question moonwolf there's a lot that goes into the research i think synchros and uh just exploring are the first biggest component for me like i said i definitely have to put this out on yhfta your handbook for the apocalypse So Mike can answer this question, but exploring would be the first step. I think just getting a really a good understanding of your local area and looking around and just noticing things, you know, and you might start to see certain things more than others or certain things might pop out, but there's definitely um, some magic in finding these locations where historical events have happened. You know, a lot of times you'll find a plaque and that plaque will give you kind of a look into something and you know the information might be available on the internet but sometimes i find signs that have information that is not on the internet so it is worthwhile to get out there and just explore and see and learn about what events happened in history in certain areas you know Uh, as much as we say that history is written by the victors there's still some info that we can gleam and synchros definitely help speeding up the process i would say but sometimes they can slow things down too it's really relative to you Uh, and then on the point of like actual documents and whatnot 
I myself go to a lot of used bookstores. I think used bookstores are particularly good for local interest books uh, and, and the local interest books will have typically if it's an old used bookstore they'll have some books that seem you know pretty intimidating but you'll find little pieces of information for example the history of ancient woodbury connecticut i found this book and it goes into the whole history of this town this one town and from that book you know although i'm not going to read it front to back i was able to find a lot of different examples of uh, some pieces of information that i was looking for and you find with a lot of these surveys and um you know like you said i think you mentioned the historical societies i also have two volumes on connecticut history produced by the historical society and they would include a lot of information on mineralogy and whatnot what's in certain places town by town or county by county so it's out there you just got to find it uh used bookstores would be the number one go-to obviously certain um websites you'll find and maybe that'll speed up the process i got a book all about stone structures in the area online so yeah thanks brother thanks for the message and thanks for giving me an opportunity to plug your handbook for the apocalypse again i'd be surprised to find out that you're not aware of it if you're listening this far into the episode but yeah check it out subscribe at the susquehanna alchemy feed if you're wondering where it went that's where it went and that's about it for today's episode folks please go check out the website www.government/scam.com and that is where you can find etienne's work you can find all kinds of information He's got ebooks, he's got PDFs, he's got multiple different books that you can get in one package. So it's a lot of good stuff. I think one of the package even includes another book that I own, which is The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin, a man who's been on The Union of the Unwanted, a podcast that I have also been on. Very cool stuff. So please check out Etienne, show him some love. And thank you, of course, for listening here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. You know the deal. Go to patreon.com, show us some love. You get a special spirit name. And then we have the Telegram. That's right. We have our Telegram community. We got our group of lunatics there up at all hours of the night. I'm usually there in the morning. Sometimes I'm there in the afternoon. But I check in on the Telegram. Don't worry. I'm there. Hit me up, join the Telegram, Instagram, all the grams. We got Rockfin, we got Odyssey now, all kinds of stuff's going on. Stay tuned for more changes on this lovely, lovely growing and evolving podcast that I enjoy doing so much, especially because of you, the listener. Thank you for listening, folks, and have a great moment wherever you are in the now. <laughs>